And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. This is the Hagman and Hagman Report. Welcome to this episode, this broadcast. Welcome to our studios. We broadcast live weeknights, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Global Star Radio Network. I want to say thank you to them for carrying our broadcast, also to Blog Talk Radio, BTR. And, of course, you're watching us on YouTube Live. Hey, folks, what did you think of last night's show on YouTube? If you're watching on YouTube, the improvements that were made. Huh? I mean, uh, it's great to be able to, to look at sort of kind of look at the end of the eyes of the people we're talking to now. Um, that I thought that was really, really great. And it's all because we were growing and we're so thankful for your support. Thank you for your belief and trust as we, as we attempt to bring the truth to you. And it's, um, um, it really is getting bad out there. When I say it's getting bad out there, it's getting bad out there. The war, the suppression on truth has never been greater. Um, the attempts to shut us down, to shut us up, have never been greater. The number of people who are attacking us, and I'm not talking about just, you know, idiots. Well, I guess I am, but that's my view. Um, it has never been greater. The fact that we are in a, a post-truth, and I refuse to, to say that we're in a post-truth uh, society news cycle or society, uh, according to the according to the uh, media. That to me is false. And, and there was a reason I, I put up uh, a, a, this weekend. I put up two videos. Joe did a video, but I put up two videos on our YouTube channel. There was a reason. One was uh, um, the Susan Daniels interview is important because it uh, she's a PI and uh, she knows where the bodies are buried in many ways and she, although the interview was from September it, it, the information was important especially as we see Obama attempting to vacate or about to vacate I suspect the White House but will he and then the second story from the Oath Keepers because he uh, Stuart Rhodes appeared Joe he, Joe, he, uh, he appeared on the uh, Veterans Day of, the, of this year and this is from November. And it's interesting, I got a couple of emails saying, what, you know, you're not on the ball. No, I just separated the, uh, uh, I, I whittled those down into just really strong and, uh, narrow interviews. But we're, we're at a war right now. It's a war against lies, against falsehoods. And, um, we're on the front lines of that. I was talking with Steve Quayle a lot today. And, you know, i got to tell you, uh, we're both to the extent of, you know, why bother anymore? And, and I'm really serious. Why, why bother? 
Gary Haven, by the way, last night too. I, I before I get in the, the, the poor pity stuff, uh, Gary Haven was fantastic, and and it's it's amazing to see Gary Haven using his planes go go to go to, to uh, Haiti and getting all of that doing all of that. Uh, to me, that's just a remarkable. He's a remarkable person, and I just he's so humble too, and and he's done more for Haiti and the people of Haiti than. Than the Clintons could ever do, in my view, I believe. But uh, but see, the the press will never tell you the truth about Haiti. The press will never tell you the truth about anything. Um, I I just I, I I'm sorry. It just and even worse, you've got these uh, these watchdog groups out there. Official watchdog groups who are slaying or putting us onto into these lists where oh you can't believe anything that comes out of their mouths. Hmm. Well, why is that, Joe? I this is part of not the poor me, I suppose. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna really get into a poor me rant, but we have got people. That, that the war is on, isn't it? The war against the alternative or the new media is on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just this last election cycle, you know, we talked about this last night, and I've touched on this many times since the election results. That you know, Donald Trump in this election cycle had a lot of people paying attention to the news, and after Trump had won the election, you have uh, upset people uh, coming out and saying, well, it was the fake news stories that helped Trump win the election. This is kind of how the fake news narrative started. Yep. And, you know, the fake news is whatever the mainstream media determines to be fake or wants to be fake. This is part of the uh, marginalizing and labeling uh, and identifying and, and tagging certain websites and, and media, alternative media outlets with uh, specific labels and names. Uh, to to marginalize and later you know uh, promote against them, um, and all alternative journalists are in the crosshairs because the mainstream media is losing viewership by the millions each day, and you have this you have the internet creating uh, environment where organic investigative uh, individuals can you know and do investigations and share their opinions on platforms on from social media to YouTube. And all in between. So it's given everybody a platform. And what people have realized is that the mainstream media is so biased, so untruthful, and does it, you know, purposefully, and knows what they're doing, doing it to deceive people. Um, they're, they're shying away from that, consciously or subconsciously, I don't know. But even today, Time Warner CEO Jeffrey uh, Bucakes said Democrats were bigger First Amendment threat than Trump. And in the article from The Hollywood Reporter, he goes on to explain why. And um, what he says is that the threat to the First Amendment came from the Democratic side. Uh, more, he says, arguing that journalists viewed a Democratic plank um, when they tried to uh, to change the way speech was, they tried to change the, the First Amendment rules. Uh, he, he viewed a Democratic plank as overly charitably as campaign finance reform, what they tried to do is, he's referring to a specific bill that wanted to change uh, 
change laws and regulations mm-hmm. through campaign finance reform. Yeah. Uh, through a finance reform bill well, instead uh, of uh, directly there. taking the issue head on. Right, right. Yeah. And that's important because that this is how a lot of this legislation gets through the, through mm-hmm. the wires. But go on. And we see that um, Dave Hodges brought this up on Sunday. The Intelligence Authorization Act for 2017 uh, is trying to label you know, the false news as Russian propaganda. That's why you see... Uh, what Steve Quell and Gary talked about yesterday, you know, Steve and a number of these other websites are being labeled as Russian, you know, uh, alternative news sites or Russian-influenced alternative media. Yeah. And they're doing uh, this in order, you know, just for the purposes of this bill. I I, I got to tell you, I had Steve called me this morning and I called. It was a flurry of phone calls about unrelated matters. So I, uh, I called him up and when he answered the phone, I said, comrade. Uh, you know, j- just in case anyone have, uh, so we were call- yeah we were calling each other comrade. But anyway, go. On. Yeah, so I mean, it's interesting to see the the pushback on this, and we're going to have uh, at, in after this segment, in the next segment, William Ramsey on. Oh yes, and we're going to continue wait. the the talk about PizzaGate. Now, yeah. there's a if you know if I can, can I just say go go show a, show one I thing? See that book over there? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know okay. I've seen that before, e- folks. Okay. Um, a couple of things, and can I have your attention, please? Yeah. Yeah. All right, a couple of things. Um, boy, the war against what is known as PizzaGate. I don't like the word either, folks. Steve doesn't like the word. I don't like the no, word. I don't think anybody. I don't think does. it's applicable. I mean, I like pizza. I don't like the word. Um, I, I think it should be PedoGate or something like that. I've, I've gotten emails saying why it needs to be PizzaGate. I, I, okay, that's. But anyway. Um, long before this was disclosed via the Podesta emails, I just want to show this to everyone. This is a book. I don't know if you can see this, and you don't have to uh, zoom the camera. And it's called The Satan Hunter by Thomas Wedge. All right. Uh, Russ Dizdar has his team members read this particular book. Uh, Russ and Tom Wedge worked together. Uh, Mr. Wedge is no longer with us. Um, he worked together in terms of... Uh, well, Tom, this book is about satanic ritual abuse crimes. Tom Wedge was a law enforcement officer that, that specialized in law enforcement or in satanic ritual abuse and satanic crimes. It's believe me, if you don't don't order this book unless you're ready to read some wow, some you know wow stuff. Um, William Ramsey is going to be kind of talking into talking about the occult significance of what we're seeing out there because everyone sees the pedophilia stuff everyone sees the child stuff which is an extremely important component but the satanic stuff that is assaulting us is what William Ramsey is going to be talking about go ahead i i i know you're well i yeah to continue about you know what's going on with the fake news yeah um you got to ask why now? Why are they looking? Why are they using PizzaGate and looking to uh, change the way that the alternative media broadcasts and and censorship and trying to censor what is being said? You know, you had. I mean, you look at all the scandals and the hit and and false flags or alleged false flags or conspiracy theories that have been. I mean, from nine eleven, from Oklahoma City to nine eleven to Sandy Hook, that have 
you know, have different movements behind it of investigative, independent investigative journalists trying to put the truth out there and the narrative differing extremely from what the mainstream media put out there. And you didn't see this type of pushback from 9-11, from right. Oklahoma City, right. even from Sandy Hook. But we see this attempt to censor alternative media sites from this Pizzagate story. So that, I guess there's one of two options. One, it's a, it's a, a psychological warfare operation. The story was planted in uh, hopes of making alternative media pick it up and making them look bad, giving us enough rope to hang ourselves with. But the other side is that it's true. And what we're seeing is a reaction from um, the people who are guilty of, of uh, being part of this. And this is the best that they, they have come up with for the time being. Um, mm. Both are, I mean, yeah. it looks to me like I believe that this is true in the sense that there are pedophile rings tied to people in the highest level of politics and business in this country. Franklin Conspiracy. Yeah, uh, I watched um, the silent Conspiracy Silence, which never aired. Silence. Yeah, never, never aired. aired. It was done and never aired. And uh, folks who've, who've never really investigated what the Franklin cover-up was about, I would... I learned a lot today watching that video. Um, I, I thought I had a good handle on it, and I really didn't. There it's are so much more deeper. updates. That was that was the original one, Conspiracy of Silence, mm-hmm. and then there are additional updates subsequent to that um, that, that that are equally good. But um, this this has always been around. I, I should note, and, and I'm, I'm glad to note, that uh, today's broadcast brought to you by Omaha Steaks, omahasteaks.com. I, I, I'm just so glad that we have the opportunity to talk about Omaha Steaks. Uh, order their My Family Pack. If you go to omahasteaks.com, put HH in the search bar, order their family pack. The amount of food that, that you get from Omaha Steaks in that My Family Pack for $49.99, uh, under $50, is well worth the price. These, to me, these should be flying off the shelves. And, and the steak is just beyond luscious. Anyway, all the food, the, the steak, chicken, and such, everything, it's just, it's just beyond luscious. OmahaSteaks.com in the search bar, HH. And also a great deal too for, uh, Christmas gifts. I, I, I already, I already ordered a couple of these for, well, people like Eric the Tech and stuff. Uh, oh, oh, sorry, Eric. Not here. Anyway. Yeah, but, but yeah, you, I mean, sure we're right. going to continue right to see the the fake news um, narrative being pushed in the media. It was talked about on um, MSNBC this morning with uh, Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski. Yeah. When fake news has real consequences, conspiracy theories find home online. And um, the but, daughter of the big new Brzezinski, Mika Brzezinski, says. One of the most shocking things to me is you actually have people with college degrees who read these fake news stories and these conspiracy theories and then call all of us up asking, is this true? Oh, this is what Joe Scarborough said. <laughs> and then the article wait, 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 say, you, you know, call, call him up, Joe, and just add, just say two words to him. Lori Klazutis. Was that the intern that was found yes. dead in his uh, office? Yeah, he was a former uh, member of the House. Lori Klazutis. After fake news. Sorry. The intern was found dead in his office. Uh, but this uh, author goes on to say, you know, that the establishment and its propaganda media uh, are not going to let up on the story with the Pizzagate story and the incident at Comet Ping Pong Pizzeria. This has kept 
the fake news meme in the headlines. And then she just, they go on and there's one sentence. The neocon lies about Iraq eventually resulted in the death of a million and a half Iraqis. The Pizzagate death toll, question mark, is zero. And, you know, they, you know, why this pushback with this story? And that's what, what leads me to say what I said earlier is that it's either one of two things. This is a psychological warfare operation. The whole thing? Intended to draw out, well, it, it could have piggybacked from an actual scandal or something going on. Okay. But, you know, because wow, I was going to talk. Yeah, when I was listening to uh, William Ramsey, who's going to be coming on in uh, the next segment and staying with us till Stan joins us, uh, he he uh, brought up a few things about Julian Assange and, and 9-11 that uh, is worth looking into a little bit more. Um, really? Yeah, about how Julian Assange is, doesn't believe the 9-11... Was an inside job or won't? won't well, get into okay. That. Yeah, you know, but, you know, when you but there's at, so many aspects to that. Nine Eleven. Where WikiLeaks get the okay, um, well, the emails from? Well, he was just covering some, I think, uh, some talking points there. But this is some some things I hope we get into tonight because uh, and, and John also talked about another uh, journalist who has the opinion that this is all a big psychological operation to get the alternative media to, to hang themselves up to. Well, okay. And I'll, uh, I, I will look at all avenues, all angles. Uh, Brittany Pettibone last night, I thought did a fantastic job, folks, if you haven't uh, given her, like, you know, high fives or whatever, digital high fives. I don't even know how you do that, but if you haven't just tossed her a note on Twitter that you saw her on, on the show last night, do that. Uh, she, she did a wonderful job, but but so I, I it because she explored the totality, the landscape of of uh, what what is known as Pizzagate. But when we look at this, and I do believe that we are being gamed in some aspects of this. I believe that that there is there are many aspects of of this Pizzagate that are not true, that are red herrings, that are that people are following. Um, I, I'm not going to even guess or pretend to guess which ones, but I think we have to be really, really, really careful. Now, it leads me to something else about this, the, the fake news Pizzagate marriage, and I just want to say this. If you go to HagmanReport.com, that's our news site, HagmanReport.com. It's come alive. It's vibrant. Uh, Joe has is, is got some stuff on there. I've got some stuff on there. Um, click on the link to the, what was it, the 15-minute video. I think it's about 15 minutes when there was a gentleman, I was on with Alex Jones yesterday during the day. And here's the backstory, because I'm seeing a lot of stuff, a lot of hating on Alex Jones, all right, about Alex Jones. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> here's the backstory, um, with respect to Alex Jones and my appearance. This, the, the segment that's on HagmanReport.com is when that, that guy, the witness who went into the pizza shop, the, the Islamic attorney from Virginia was in Washington, took his three children, seven, nine, and eleven, or seven, nine, and twelve, to Comet Pizza. Guy reportedly walks in. Remember this, Joe? I mean, it was reported with a gun to Comet mm-hmm. Pizza. Allegedly, what does fires it in the ground? I I still can't understand what the real. Well, I yeah, there's no real story. I, I can't get my hands on the real account. I want to see a police report or something that, that's authentic. You know, there's a Twitter, uh, uh, a, a Twitter feed from the, it was either the police or the sheriff's department. And if you follow it, 
whoever Twitter feed and law enforcement it was that responded to the crime scene originally or the call said that they could not find evidence of a gunman anywhere uh, at the location. And later right. they come out and uh, they arrest, uh, or later this guy comes out and is arrested. I, there's no picture of the gun. There's no, I mean, can we, there's uh, conflicting reports about whether shots were fired into the floor or the ceiling uh, versus no shots fired. Can you can we reference uh, a conversation? This is a private conversation about that event. Can we? Can you somehow think of how we can couch this conversation where we give away no names and real let people know that just hold on, do not. What would you say about the conversation you and I had with a third party today? A conference call that we had. Mm-hmm. This we were contacted by. Yeah, I would. Uh... It was a, another talk show host. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wait for anything on that. I mean, just you would because you don't. You mean, we don't. We didn't. Um, we don't even know where that info is coming from. Well, uh, you know, first off, so okay. Well, I guess once that's established, then we can. So, so you what you you say? Wait on that, right? Yeah. All right. Well, I, I don't mean to leave you folks in suspense. This is something we didn't talk about. This is something is just. No, you're in suspense, Eric. All right. Yeah. You're gonna have stakes you know, over. Uh, it, it, well, just briefly, we talked to another talk show host. Um, there's there there may be more information coming out about the person and the incident. Who is who's a, a family or a somebody close to this person? This event listens to alternative news or news like news programs like ours. And that's all I'll say. I don't know. Uh we advised this person in terms of what to watch out for and how to handle things because it could be a setup. You know, it, today anyone is it could be a setup. So I know that I didn't make sense to anyone out there and I apologize for that. But it's it's difficult to talk about something when you can't really talk about it. But I, I would just urge everyone just to hold your final decisions on who this man was and what happened at that location but getting back to that interview with Alex Jones I just want to say that I was I had 30 about 30 seconds notice that this guy was coming on I I was on there for for another reason or for a previous interview and then Alex said hey you want to you want to ride shotgun with me when this witness to this incident came on and I said yeah why not what the heck yeah, why not? Famous last words, right? Yeah, why not? Let's do it. And that 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 fifteen minute interview, Joe, uh, you could tell where Alex was taken aback and kind of surprised by this guy. It's it's really when you sit in this chair, and and Alex is a professional. We're not. I mean, I'm not. Joe, Joe I don't know. We're not. But when you sit in this chair and you are, you get blindsided. Sometimes you're able to, ex- ex- well, you're able to handle that. But when you're talking about a topic in a very specific, <coughs> a very specific accusation about a very specific location and about a very specific person, ye- red flags and alarm bells go off. Okay, red flags go up and alarm bells go off because you don't know what the motive of that person is, especially when that person's an attorney. And especially when the allegations are very serious, and, and, and at this moment, without 
actual law enforcement arrests and substanti- substantiation. So I've seen a lot of people, you know, uh, remarks about Alex Jones. Uh, I thought he did a, a, a decent job. I really did. I don't think he, I don't think he backpedaled in this, but you've got to be very circumspect. Now, m- my appearance, when he said ride shotgun, I was just kind of, I sat there, but until I couldn't sit there any longer, and then I kind of started yelling to the producer, hey, you know, hey, and then they opened up my mic, and I just wanted to ask the guy like three questions, or I wanted to ask the guy a series of questions, I only got like three out. Um, but having said that, the reason I brought this up is there's something really wrong with this entire thing, the entire situation. In my view, as an investigator, Joe, I don't know. You feel that there's something really wrong here, where it extends beyond. It either wasn't the incident that they're making it out to be, and somehow they they turned it into that, or I just when you see the because um, this is so muddy, the, the waters are so muddy yeah. with the yeah. the fake news and the PizzaGate story. So just to get an accurate report on what happened there. Uh, I haven't read any, um, I don't know, I guess I, I should go back and look today, but, I mean, how can you, you know, the most accurate news seems to come out right around the time of the event or, you know, ne- near the event. And the, and and the further the away. Changes. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, Good point. when we looked yesterday, when I was looking yesterday at this incident, um, that was one thing that troubled me. It was just very, I, I know I read at least four stories on it from four different sources. And none of the stories were the same. There was no eyewitness testimony. You had some, uh, you know, pictures from people who were inside their homes or out on the streets that were taken from uh, streams of video and, and the still images was taken out of the, the video. It's a very convoluted, um, issue or seems to be or was made to be. And, it, it, it more than it had to be, right? Absolutely. And See, that's it. it. To continue the fake news push, which is the most important and there it angle, is. Uh, more so than anything else. Folks, we're up against our uh, commercial break. When we come back, William Ramsey will be joining us, and uh, you can find him on YouTube. We'll, uh, oh, R-A-M-S-E-Y, Ramsey, yeah, R-A-M-S-E-Y. Uh, William Ramsey Investigates on YouTube. And um, I can't wait for this. Thanks, Sean. Occultinvestigations.wordpress.com. We'll be right back with William Ramsey after these short messages. Stay with us. To the Hagman and Hagman Report. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being part of the post-truth fake news environment. Yeah, now we're taking it by by storm, right? It's not. It is. You are listening to the true, unfiltered, uncensored, Watchman Unleashed news. In my view, anyway, and the, the news that people want to uh, want to avoid. Before we get to our guest, William Ramsey. This gentleman, you're gonna, you're gonna love this guy. You're gonna love this guy. You are going to absolutely, what he's got to say, 
uh, he's going to add an, another entire dimension to your thinking before we get to him. I had mentioned earlier about Omaha Steaks, and uh, and I was half-joking, or was I, about getting Eric the Tech his Christmas. I, I did my shopping. I have done my shopping at OmahaSteaks.com. And if if you're like I am, I don't go to malls. I, I, I don't like to leave my home. My wife says, you're a recluse. Well, I can go shopping on Omaha Steaks. They've got over 500 gourmet gift ideas. They've got the highest quality meats, cuts, ingredients, one-of-a-kind flavor with their seasoning packets. It is just fabulous. Gary Haven, the man who founded Curves International, and the, the gentleman that we spoke with last night, loves uh, Omaha Steaks. You heard him mention that as well. And I just, this is the perfect gift for someone who has it all or that's someone hard to buy for. And here's the deal, folks. If you go to omahasteaks.com and do that, go to omahasteaks.com in the search bar, put HH in the search bar. There you will see my, uh, my family pack. This is, this, this is their loss leader, I believe. This is the best selling pack there is, and they put together this wonderful, they put together this wonderful package where all can have, with this package, two filet mignons and two top sirloins. Just, that's just fabulous by itself. And two boneless pork chops along with four boneless chicken breasts. Now, you'd think that that's all for $49.99. Uh, but no, they, they go on, they have four kielbasa sausages and four, Four burgers, which are just absolutely, you've never tasted the meat like that. I cooked up a couple of uh, burgers here, did a couple of this, uh, Monday, yesterday. Yeah, these all run together. Um, 12 ounce package of all beef meatballs, four potatoes, au gratin, four caramel apple tartlets, and one Omaha steak seasoning packet. Plus, you'll get four additional kielbasa sausages free with this package. I don't, you, you cannot even go to the store and buy this. The amount of food for what they're offering it for. Two year door, forty nine ninety nine plus shipping. It's a seventy seven percent off. That's over a hundred and sixty five dollar value. But this is something that that our family loves. We uh, we all enjoy getting packages from Omaha Steaks, and frankly, uh, we've never had we've never had a bad meal, and we recommend this especially for those people who are hard to buy for and hard to please. They will absolutely love this. OmahaSteaks.com. That's OmahaSteaks.com. Search bar, HH. In the search bar, HH. Joining us um, in this segment in in the next hour is William Ramsey. Um, He's an independent uh, journalist and author of of several books uh, dealing with the occult and um, these... uh, Oh, topics of, of Satanism yeah. and, and uh, great, great information all the way into the current events today. William Ramsey, it's great to have you on the Hagman and Hagman Report. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Are, uh, Mr. Ramsey, are you uh, a credential investigator? Because if not, you should be. And if you are, great job. Thanks. No, I'm not credentialed. I'm credentialed as a member of the State Bar of California. I am an attorney okay. and uh, and definitely an author, so okay. not credentialed. All right. Well, we'll forgive the attorney part. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. But no, you you come at you come at your uh, your occult investigations in a, in a manner that is so succinct. In, at least as an investigator looking at this, it's like uh, courtroom ready uh, to me. And you tackle a lot of difficult subjects. What? Where do you want to start? Um, well, I mean, I can start with my first my first book. I became interested in Aleister Crowley, who was a, a black magician 
uh, like the late 19th and 20th century. I wrote my first book about him. I wrote my second book about the West Memphis Three and the Satanism that was involved in that and the ties to uh, Hollywood celebrities. And then my most recent book is Children of the Beast, which was about Crowley's influence on the 20th century. And then I've also wow. done some research on Pizzagate as well. So, Oh, okay. Well, I'll tell you what. If you don't mind, can we can we just kind of get Pizzagate out of the way, at least as an icebreaker? We may come back to it. Um, how do you like that as an icebreaker? Uh, let's your research on Pizzagate, what you've found from from your investigations, your point of view, if you don't mind. If, is that an okay place to start? And then we'll hit your Great. your book. I mean, I go. think. I think the Pizzagate is actually the real news that uh, the mass media is denying is actually real. But uh, I was following all of the WikiLeaks releases as they were concurrently released and then came across the spirit cooking email that involved Marina Abramovich and the Podesta brothers and then followed people's leads all the way to Comet Ping Pong, James Alephantis, and his Instagram account, which had an incredible amount of really shady, sketchy information and ties to these code words that were in the WikiLeaks emails, pizza, hot dogs, chicken. And uh, I've just been trying to follow up on all of the message boards, read it before it got shut down. I've been on boats and kind of following other uh, research people, but also really trying to figure out his connections, James Alephantis's kind of art chic connections, and also Marina Abramovich. I found her to be... Uh, really kind of almost a witch and a really kind of a celebrity witch and I found her connections to be remarkable to people who yeah. uh, watch news all the time uh, I, I was speaking with Russ Dizdar have you and Russ spoken at all yes. you know Russ? Okay. yes very well okay. yeah. alright yeah we were talking before I, I was before I went on Alex Jones yesterday we were talking about uh, uh, Tom Wedge and we were talking about the uh, uh, spirit cooking aspect of things. Uh, well, have you did you have you memorialized or grabbed all of the images that were out there that are no longer out there, or at least where they were with respect to some of the Twitter feed and Instagram stuff and all that? Have you did you? I tried to. I have very many pictures of Abramovich with celebrities, and I tried to get as many of the Instagram pictures that uh, were on James Alphansis, but also the people who who commented on James Alephantis's page too. I try to get uh, their kind of incriminating Instagram pictures as well. Alright. The reason I'm asking about this is Joe and I have been trying to take at least the point um, on this whole what they call Pizzagate. Again, I'm not a fan of that name, but uh, we'll go with that. And we've been trying to really dig into this investigative-wise and um, to the extent where my daughter was doing some research and she said, hey, your name, my, me, I was on uh, Snopes. Um, uh, I appeared on Snopes. Uh, she found my name on there with her in the context of Pizzagate, saying that this is uh, not true. But it's really interesting. None of the allegations, not my allega- not my allegations, but the citizen journalist allegations, were refuted. They were just typified as unproven. But, uh, I, okay, so back up. Marina Abramovich, uh, who is she? Spirit cooking, what is it? What do we need to know about this? Well, I do think that she is uh, practicing a cultist who has taken occult ideas and put them into her public art displays. And she's even claimed and stated herself that if her rituals publicly 
are in public, they're they're for public consumption. But if she does them privately, they're occult rituals. But she um, has an interesting background. She comes all the way from Serbia, and she's done these public displays of uh, these kind of art chic pieces all over the world. She's actually become very famous. She's almost seventy. She actually she just turned seventy uh, within the last month, but she looks very young for her age. But I uh, have read through her memoir, and she said some very interesting things. She talks about her growing up, how she was not frightened of snakes, and you'll see all these pictures of her with snakes. But an interesting quote that she talked about is her communication with uh, luminous beings. She says, I was so afraid of the dark, but I, this closet was filled with ghosts, spiritual presences, luminous beings, shapeless and silent, but not at all frightening. I would talk to them. It felt completely normal to me that they were there. They were simply part of my reality, my life. And the moment I turned on the light, they would vanish. So from an early age, she was having these kind of like witch-like experiences. But one of the fascinating things about her is her connections to famous people who have attended her other spirit cookings, not just the spirit cooking that was mentioned within the Podesta emails. Tony is uh, John Podesta's brother. John Podesta is was Hillary's campaign manager and was also a Clinton chief of staff. But... Uh, they um, talked about her going to a spirit cooking in New York, but in my research, what I've found is all of these other people who have also attended or been to these public kind of, maybe not spirit cooking that involve blood, but involve these kind of pseudo-human cakes that all these people would eat. And some of those people were like Michael Stipe of REM, James Franco, or Jay-Z, believe it or not, the, the rapper, uh, Beyonce, Lady Gaga is a huge supporter of Marina Abramovich, and Lady Gaga, if you remember, was a big Hillary supporter fan. She kind of made some speech about Hillary or for Hillary Clinton in pseudo Nazi garb. But uh, so Abramovich is a very remarkable character, and if you go into kind of Crowley's writings, he was a pretty much a, a pitch black magician who believed that bodily fluids contained power, and a lot of his rituals involved the use and consumption of blood and other bodily fluids. So you kind of see that same theme with Marina Abramovich. And it's interesting, in the WikiLeaks emails, there's a mention of Thelema, which is what Crowley called his religion. Thelema means will in Greek. And so you see these kind of correlations between Abramovich, Crowley, this kind of ritual consumption of uh, bodily fluids, and uh, her strain, you know, her connection to all of these celebrities. One of the other people she was has been seen with is Kim Kardashian, whose, uh, you know, boyfriend or a husband, Kanye West, was just recently put in the mental hospital. He just got out, but uh, there are pictures of them together. Together, and Courtney Love. So Marina Abramovich is is definitely making her rounds with kind of the Hollywood and musical elite. All right. So she's a conduit of Satanism. And to her, I mean, Satanism is a religion, uh, as I suspect. It's her faith? Or is this an incorrect assumption? No, I would say that's a correct assumption. She's into the occult. She's She's been seen with all kinds of pictures of occult uh, insignias and snakes and butterflies, these kind of symbols that occultists use, so... I would okay. definitely, and you know, she's she's done bloodletting things. She's put a pentagram on her stomach, and uh, you know, carved it into her stomach. So I think it's safe to assume that that is uh, her interest. All right. Now, in, in your in your analysis, your research, your investigations, 
of Pizzagate, what's known as Pizzagate. Uh, what have you found that, because there are so many citizen journalists out there that have just poured tons of information onto the Internet, onto these forums and such, what have you found that, uh, have you found that there is in fact something to this, that this is not, this is not all just made up BS, right? Yeah, we've been look, looking at two options on this, um, Mr. Ramsey. One is that, you know, uh, that this is real and this whole fake news narrative has, has stemmed from it and we gotta ask why now, you know, after 9-11 and all the other false flags and the uh, reaction to those false flags and the disagreement and people pointing it out, why this specific incident is being used to try to censor alternative news, or two, the possibility that this could be uh, a huge psychological uh, operation in order to uh, give the alternative media enough rope to hang themselves with this fake news thing. I guess that's the two options we've, we've been looking at. Well, I don't believe it's a PSYOP. I believe that these these people keyed into these terms that were in the Podesta emails and researched and realized that those terms are consistent with pedophile terminology in the dark web that had already existed prior to the discovery of the terms in the emails. And there's actually another set of uh, WikiLeaks that was a hack of Stratfor. And those terms were in that e- that uh, hacked email set that was from 2010. So if there was some kind of psychological logical operation, it had to have gone back six years. And that particular email, a lot of people have talked about, it's about $65,000 for the transference of hot dogs and pizza from Chicago to the White House. And that was in a different set of emails than the Podesta emails. I think that's an important point to remember. So uh, as far as the psychological opera, I think that if it really was a psychological operation, these two guys, Alphantis and Podesta, will not be able to walk around in public. I don't know why there would be a psychological operation that would fully, thoroughly tarnish them, their business life, and their personal reputation. And I also think that there are other people outside of that kind of these central characters who keep popping up, Podesta and Alphantis, who are also have some kind of strange interest in pedophilia pedophilia terms. So I don't believe this PSYOP is legit. I think what is legit is these guys are up to, they're part of an underground, and they're connected to other people in that environment. I do believe that, like, they use all these terms. A comet is like uh, something people talk about, a relationship that burns bright and then disappears, you know. So that's kind of a terminology that comes from this background. I think that they found out, some researcher has found out that Alephantis has been to Germany and is, is a part investment in another ping pong place in Germany. And there was a strange thing that also was mentioned from the Haiti. Uh, there was part of this whole investigation is, has come across this lady, Silsby, S-I-L-S-B-Y, who was involved in taking 33 Haitian children out of uh, Haiti. It turns out that this was after the earthquake in 2010. It turns out that a lot of those children had parents and they didn't want to go. And that the Hillary Clinton and her um, one of her attorneys was involved with the Silsby woman in trying to kind of handle that thing. Well, it's interesting that in um, the Alephantis Instagram uh, pictures, there's one picture that is, has a uh, somebody mentioning, I would like some Haitian cheese with that. So they, they talk about these code words, in my opinion, that refer back to this Haitian human trafficking. And it's also interesting that uh, Donald Trump, in his roast of Hillary Clinton at the Al Smith um, charity conference, he mentions a transference of 
Haitians out of Haiti. He kind of bagged, uh, referenced the fact that Hillary Clinton wrote a book called It, it Takes a Village and said, well, she would know because she's tra helped transfer many villages of children. I can't remember verbatim, verbatim what he said, but uh, yeah. children out of yeah. So um, I don't think it's a sile. I do think there's something there. The other people who Alephantis hangs out with or associates with are also into kind of occult, um, kind of satanic stuff with these code words. And um, so that's basically my opinion. I do think there's something there. I don't think that there's direct evidence of these things happening, but there's so much circumstantial evidence from so many different sources that, for me, uh, I think that an investigation in, into what they call Pizzagate is justified. You know, I said yesterday on Alex Jones when I was talking with him, it is my view as an investigator, circumstantial evidence is the most difficult evidence to manufacture and oftentimes the most convincing. But, uh, yeah. Well, I agree. And if you look at those Instagram accounts, those are like people were making statements from 85, 86 weeks ago, you know? So these are like over a year old that people discovered just coming across them recently. So, uh, yeah, I think that there's just tons, of, and the things are still being uncovered. There's still more uh, statements by Alephantis. There was just one I came across today from another Instagram account where Alephantis remarked, somebody remarked, when I think of the god Pan, god is a, Pan is a representation of Satan and this kind of uh, flute-playing, half-goat-headed thing. Somebody commented, when I think about Pan, I think about James Alephantis, and then James himself, as Jimmy Comet writes, yeah, that's me. So hmm. they're still coming up with information. That's um, very interesting. And one of the things that, um, in the emails that makes this uh, very interesting is the, the, you know, you referred to this earlier, the language that is used. And if you, you know, if you look at the emails and you read through them, a lot of them don't make sense the way that they're written unless there is a, uh, a decipher code almost for uh, what they're saying. And, you know, when, when you put the, those two pieces of evidence together, um, it, it it is very shocking, and then you know the artwork and, and the different uh, you know from Podesta's wall in Hillary Clinton's campaign offices of the um, two men with forks and plates, you know, uh, hinting at cannibalism, to what's on the Instagram accounts that uh, that you've talked about, and I, I listened to an interview you did uh, earlier today, and I have not seen a lot of the. Uh, the Jimmy Comet Instagram images yet myself. I have not looked into that. But I heard you ex talking about a lot of them today. And you made a connection. Uh, the last video I believe you did was about the uh, connection to the ancient Roman uh, emperor's uh, teenage, teenage boy uh, that he w had related. Can you, can you expand on that a little bit? So the there's like an icon that identifies the Jimmy Comet Instagram account, and it was a picture of a statue, and one researcher decided to figure out what the statue was or who it was, and he traced it directly back, and there's really good visual proof about it. I uh, traced it back to a statue that's in the Prado Museum, which is in um, Spain, in Madrid, Spain, of this Roman uh, person by the name of Antinus, and Antinus was a 13-year-old uh, man or boy from Bithynia who was associated with the Emperor Hadrian. Hadrian built the Hadrian's Wall in England. And Hadrian was had this uh, pederast relationship with this uh, boy, Antinus. And at the time of their relationship, 
Adrian was 48 years old, or that's what they estimate. And what's, what's, and Titus, after he died, he, he died somewhere in Egypt. Uh, they think there's either he died of uh, illness or he may have been sacrificed. Some people have uh, talked about a sacrifice to the River Nile that was common back in the day for uh, the benefit of a good harvest. But after he died, this uh, Antinus became deified by Hadrian. He became, there were many statues of him in ancient Rome and other places where he was deified, and he, he's become this exemplar of the ideal pederast relationship, this Antinus. So to have that statue on James Aliphantus' Instagram page indicates that uh he he's very aware of the the relevance and meaning within that community of this statue. Yeah, that's very uh, telling and very. I mean, when you look at this as a whole, um, it, it's it's mind boggling and and uh, unbelievable. And this is a topic um, where you get a lot of resistance from people not wanting to. I mean, you see you know, child sex rings and and people just run like it's the plague because they don't want. It makes people physically ill uh, when this is the first time they're learning about it. Uh, people, there's there's a, a lot of people who've been victims of sexual abuse, and then you have this uh, dark, you know, religious element to it also, the Satanism and satanic ritual abuse aspect, and it's starting to paint a very grim picture of the people of power in the United States and in the globe, and and who their their god is. It's it's very disturbing. I agree. That's excellent. excellent I'm going to tell you this, Um, folks. Well, we're talking with William Ramsey, his website, um, occultinvestigations.com. But I I will say that your books, Mr. Ramsey, are going to be on my Christmas list, all three of them. Uh, He's the author, folks, of Prophet of Evil, Aleister Crowley, 9-11 and the New World Order, Abomination, Devil Worship and Deception in the West Memphis, Murders and Children of the Beast, Alistair Crowley's Shadow Over Humanity. Just want to throw that in there because this we need to know this. As painful as it is as Christians and as truth seekers, we need to know all of this. Um, so I just want to let you know that I'm going to be doing some, doing some uh, reading over the Christmas Thank you. days. Um, but, okay, and you... Um, well, we'll go ahead and continue with this because we've got about five minutes before the break. No, no, two minutes. Two minutes. I was no, just going to say there was another picture. Um, Joe talked about the ritual abuse aspects. There's one very disturbing picture of clearly to me a younger underage boy with a mask on in a ritual environment that I just sent over to the Skype account that nobody's really ever explained. So NPR, the New York Times, and all these Washington Post, all these naysayers about the PizzaGate situation is never explained what the heck is going on with these underage kids in a ritual environment that are on James Aliphantus' Instagram page. Interesting. Wow. And there's even more. I mean, there's odd people have searched uh, Aliphantus' friends on Instagram, and there's one guy who makes child-sized coffins. There's strange yeah, digging going that. on around. I mean, what? How, how can somebody explain this? I would love to have an explanation. Um it- yeah. That blew my mind. Well, the, the, the the coffin, um, if folks, if you haven't seen that, that is really to me that was disturbing when I saw that. Um, and I've and I've tried to capture every image out there uh, with respect to PizzaGate or 
what was known as Pizzagate. And that was one of the most disturbing to me, in addition, of course, to the artwork and such. But that's just not, that's just not normal and, um, not right. Uh, but, okay. Elef- this James Elephantis, uh, the connections there, very curious to the Washington Power Elite, number 49, of the most powerful inside the Beltway. And, and some say that's just because of his relationship to David Brock. Yeah, I, I guess that's believable. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but there's got to be some other element there, in my view, that that makes us a little bit, little bit uh, different. Um, when we when we come back from the break, I'd like to ask you too about your thoughts. Are you familiar with what happened yesterday with or Sunday with the uh, the incident with the, the guy that walked into Comet Pizza? And yes, supposedly. Okay, I am familiar with it. Yes. Yeah, I'd like to kind of get your take on that and what you know, kind of expand as well on if you think that. We, you as an investigative researcher, bosses, investigators, uh, talking about this are, are kind of in the crosshairs of the people who don't want to see this go any further. And then the implications. And the, this will kind of segue into your books as well, uh, especially okay. with Alistair Crowley and the current events of today. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report, our very special guest, William Ramsey. Yeah, and, and folks, if you want to, go to his YouTube channel, William Ramsey Investigates at YouTube, at Occult911 on Twitter. Um, and there's some, I'm going to go there right now because I want to look into more of these uh, pictures from Instagram that I've heard so much about. Uh, and I see that you have these up on, on your Twitter account. William Ramsey is our guest. We'll be right back. Uh, he's going to be with us into the next hour until Stan joins us at 9. So stay with us. Don't go anywhere. We're just getting started with William Ramsey right after this. This is a fantastic stuff. William Ramsey, folks, go to uh, his website. Joe, do you have his website up there right now? I mean, his website is fantastic. Occult Investigation. Right. Yeah, I just, I, I love his website, but I, I, I'm very interested in his books. Uh, all three of his books, we're going to be reading those. But uh, occultinvestigations.com. I really would like to have Mr. Ramsey on on a regular basis, you know, even for a segment, just to kind of keep us informed of things because he's that good. Before you get back to Mr. Ramsey, I just want to know if you've done it yet. If you have, you ordered T.C. Joseph's books. Have you done it? Have you ordered T.C. Joseph's books? If you haven't, shame. T.C. Joseph has written this wonderful series of novels. It's the this generation series of novels actually is what it is, and it's a thrilling it's a thrilling series. Three novels. And the first one, the first book is Precipice, book two is Pentecost, and book three is Penance. And he, he has done what most authors only strive to do, and that's take a fictional account, push us through recent history to the events that are just on our, on our horizon using this witty style. Great characters, great character development, fascinating reads. Not only, folks, will you love his books, but, uh, 
They're they're great tools to awaken others, family family members and friends to the perilous times we face. Got great reviews on Kirkus and and Blue Ink reviews. Those are some uh, powerful. If they like those books, you're a good author. Get your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series on Amazon today. That's T.C. Joseph's This Generation series, book one, Precipice, book two, Pentecost, and book three, uh, Penance. And the, all three books are just tremendous. And William Ramsey, again, is our guest. His website, occultinvestigations.com. The, uh, uh, I, I just have, we just have so many questions. Joe and I were talking during the break, and we are going back and forth, you know, just talking about your, your, Stuff. Where do we leave off at the Joe? Where do we leave off at the break? We're going to talk about. I was going to ask you about something, and then I don't know. Yeah. Um, see, we kind of have connection to Crowley, and kind of move yeah. from. Uh, there you it's go. Yeah, go go ahead and take it. Well, I was just going to say that you know they mentioned Crowley in one of the 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 word Lima that I mentioned earlier was in one of the Podesta um, Podesta emails, and so I think that these guys are kind of. I think they'll find out that. These guys are kind of similar to these occultists. We haven't, I haven't found any information of what type of occult uh, group they're in, but um, it just seems like there's something there. And there's there's notions of, at least with David Brock, who was Alephantis's, uh boyfriend for a while, there's notions of after parties. They actually had a flyer about an after party that started at 12 o'clock midnight. Um, so th- I found that to be very uh, suspicious. So um, I just think that well, there's going to be more information and more stuff that's going on. I've traced some of this guy, one of these guys who uh, actually has an affinity for the horn god, the ancient kind of occult god with the horns on it that the Wiccans uh, pray to. So there's definitely this whiff of rich witchcraft as well. Um, and if you look at the outside of Comet Pizza, one of the more obvious things that they decorate it with is a downward-facing pentagram and a half moon which are both really heavy-duty occultic. The downward-facing pentagram uh, really indicates it's like a satanic symbol representing the horn god, but it also uh, shows the when it's downward-facing, my understanding is that it indicates people's desire to have dominance over matter. When it's facing upward, the upward triangle spirit and then the, the four elements, whereas downward-facing has the four elements and then the idea that these guys are going to have control over the material world. So... Uh, I think that that is very telling as well. Well, so uh, mm. it's going to be interesting how people get more and more information. I think that uh, it, it, when Trump comes into office on January 20th and we get a different uh, legal environment, things could become very interesting. So uh, this story, I think people need to continue watching, watching it. Um. You know, we just came off a very volatile election cycle in the media and, um, in the nation, a very divisive and divided nation, uh, just, uh, came out of this election cycle with Trump the winner. We see the, the backlash of this in the press and whatnot. Um, Hillary Clinton, we saw the health problems that she has. We know about her history and you, you mentioned Haiti, uh, earlier and I want to get back into that a little bit and tie it into the Clinton Foundation. Um, but let's talk about Hillary Clinton for a second. Does she yeah. is she a witch in yeah. your opinion? Well, that's a great question. I have seen an interview on the Alex Jones uh, station where he talked with Larry Nichols, who said she attended a witch meeting like once a month in California. Mm-hmm. And he, t- he, he told us that. Yeah, he. he okay. I, I will. I will say this. 
Larry Nichols, in a conversation that Joe and I had with him in a conference call, reaffirmed to us that uh, once every six weeks or a month, she does fly to California and attends a certain coven meeting, his words, not mine, um, in California that relates to a religious belief that she has. And, and the only thing I could, I, it, it was indicated that it was witchcraft, but go ahead, sir. I believe it. I mean, and, you know, I, it's not surprising that she has this close relation to Podesta, who has relations with these guys who have all kinds of occult insignia on their restaurant. So um, Hillary Clinton, I actually, there was intense interest about her health situation prior to the election. I posted some video that showed her having some kind of, uh, the, one doctor called it a Ledopova-induced seizure, and that got like three point two five million views. Like it just went crazy. I didn't expect anybody to watch it. But um she was sick, she still is sick and uh physically sick. And the the amount of bodies that are associated with her and her husband are off the charts. You know, I was in DC from ninety five to ninety eight. I actually had the misfortune or whatever to work with somebody who was working on the Vince Foster case. The guy's name was John Clark. You can look him up. It's Clark with an E. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I used to hang out, I used to hang out in his office. I actually, they, the reason why they got me when I was in law school was they wanted somebody to deliver things to Congress. And I had, I had very close friends who worked on, in the Congress building and senatorial buildings. And I actually handed out John Clark's addendum, which ended up on the circuit, was at the district court of D.C. It ended up as an addendum. But I handed that out to every um, senator and uh, member of the House of Representatives. I went and delivered it, hand-delivered, walked it through. Um, so that was like the introduction. Why was there from 95 to 98? I actually, yeah, I mean, I went to there. I went to the Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton uh, party when they won their election in '96. I was actually in the um, California. Was it the Connecticut room at one of the things? Anyway, the we used to when we were at law school, we used to talk about how the next body that show up. I mean, it was really kind of a grim thing, but it was like people were falling off buildings, dying, suiciding themselves in cars, and uh, you know, I was, I was lucky. Yeah, it was amazing, and I was there first. I mean, I, you know, I've had real. Yeah, I mean, I don't want it to go how deep. I, like, I was, I used to hang, I used to be in the Capitol building and all these places all the time back then. And it was a very strange environment, but I was lucky to get out in 98, uh, you know, as fast as I could. But I saw some things. I mean, it was amazing. And the Vince Foster is very super sketchy. I actually walked out to Fort Marcy Park and stood on the berm where his body was found. And I was like, nope, no, no way. There's no way. He's, he's I, I was like, out there. I was out there in nineties. I was out uh, at Fort Marcy Park, looking around uh, right after Chris Ruddy. I think wrote his. Was it Ruddy that wrote it? That wrote the book Strange Death of yes. Vince Foster, and it was around that time. It was like ninety five, ninety six. Myself, I was out at Fort Marcy Park, and I also interviewed some of the park police. Um, I'll just ask you this: Do you believe? We, I think we can all agree. I, I don't believe that Foster died at, at Fort Marcy Park. I just given the forensics, I don't believe that we were locked there off. I don't believe he died there. But do you believe he right. committed suicide, or do you believe he was murdered? I'm just curious. Murder. And not murdered, you know, murdered. All right. Uh, definitely uh, murdered. Uh, okay. So, uh, right. yeah. I mean, I looked at all the evidence. I looked at what was going on, 
you, I mean, there was a lot of people, I can't remember the report that was before the, uh, oh gosh, what, what was the report that came out about it? There was two reports about the Vince Foster death. There was an earlier one and then the star report. There was one before that, but a lot of the evidence just didn't make sense. And I think that the real telling thing is that he was, I can't remember if he was right or left handed. I think he was left handed and the gun was found in his right hand. Right? Right. Something like that. That was the real giveaway. That's like somebody didn't know what, what hand to put the gun in. So, yeah, they did, they played tricks on his wife about the, the style of the gun, if I remember correctly, whether it was a gold nickel plated gun or, so, yeah, uh, definitely murder. I used to, I actually sat around with Patrick Knowlton. I actually went out to dinner with him a couple times and chatted with him. So, you know, my history, well, that he, was kind he took, of when, he, he took some hits. Knowlton took some hits. They showed me the picture of black satchels who followed him around, you know. Mm. And I actually, you know, D.C. is is a very strange town. There's a lot of people kind of spying on each other. And, uh, you know, people took an interest in me. I was nobody. But, you know, I, I had similar things that happened to me, like that happened to Patrick Knowlton and John Clark. Wow. They were hyper-paranoid, hyper-paranoid for good reason, you know. So... Wow, that's incredible. Um, yeah. well, so we, well, thanks for your insight. Paul Nolton asked, pardon me? No, I just want to thank you for your insight into the murder, and I, and I will say this, the murder of Vince Foster to me has some important uh, importance to me I, for reasons I don't want to get into, but, but I, I'm looking at this, and I all of everything I've found, yes, he's murdered, and yes, he was transported to Fort Marcy Park, and the investigation was not bungled but intentionally uh messed up or uh, misdirected I should say so that's my view and, and to me anyone who is pointing in the other direction or attempts to point others in the other direction is part of or could be, could very well be part of a cover up I I just feel very strongly about this because the evidence well, I is so 100% agree with you yeah, 100% thank agree. you so much man but, but thank, uh, thanks well, for the interesting thing if I can add uh, Doug is that so there's some people who speculated that why he was killed is he came across a child trafficking thing. Have you heard that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And that just resurfaced again subsequent to this Pizzagate stuff, uh, the information. So it kind of like it, I saw it a couple of years, a number of years ago, and then it kind of went off the radar and now it just is coming back. So yes, I did, I did see that and the morale, I, I think, Foster was a man of morals and a more a man of character, and I think that he he played the Washington game uh, as much as he could. But something like that would, uh, man, he would blow the whistle. I think a heartbeat on something. I like think it. so. You know, the very talented guy. He graduated first in his class at Vanderbilt Law School. Him in a very among very very intelligent people. You know, so I do credit him with being a pretty sharp guy. But I heard right before he died, there was a meeting. He went out. Uh, with and uh, somewhere in Maryland, and that some people have speculated that that was what sealed his fate. Is that he had some kind of secret meeting with a couple people, and uh, you know, wasn't going to wow. go the route that, that Clinton wanted to go. And that was it. Well, th- th- thank you for your expertise in that, and the fact that you were in D.C. Um, in the in the mid '90s really adds a lot to. The perspective in the conversation about this, about Foster. Well, that's from with the law school. So, you know, I was like, I mean, I'm not Martin Luther, but I had something kind of like 
a Martin Luther moment when Martin Luther went to Rome and saw what it was really like. I had something similar happen to me when I went to DC. You know, I had, I was a very naive person who, um, really believed all the history they were told. And when I went to DC, it was a lot. I mean, it was weird. We had weird conversations about people would talk about Swiss bank accounts and just all kinds of really sketchy stuff, you know, so it was a real eye opener for me. Wow. Is that what led you down? Is this what led you down? I think that changed my perspective, yeah. So I became kind of, I mean, you can put me in the alternate category, I guess, of alternate researcher, but that was when I realized that a lot of these mass media outlets are not honest and they're involved. And Pizzagate's another aspect of it. You know, they're not looking into the actual real facts that are on the ground. And I found that that was the same thing with the foster death. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I probably, I never, I just, I never really thought I'd ever have written a book or be kind of a journalist, but, you know, that's, I was really just sick of the, the mass media lying about so many things that that's really was that these books were really the result of, you know, watching the lies for years. Yeah. yeah. And I guess being in DC and, 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 um, being in that environment and around those people and, and what you said that something, you know, was revealed to you or you saw something that, that, uh, changed the way you perceive things. And, uh, it's, I well, guess, I think- you know, it's good when that happens, um, because it, you know, you get to to look at things from a different perspective, even though how, no matter how horrifying or, or crazy the situation might be, uh, it definitely adds um, to your perspective as you continue your journey in life. No question. I think that's a great point. One of the things that I realized in D.C. is that whole groups of people can get the talking points or the bullet points and hold to that story. So, like, 10 or 15 people can have the same lie and disseminate it through a variety of different channels and hold to that, whatever the subject is, whether it's foster or, you know, medical policy or something like that, where they can just, there's groups that, you know, disseminate these positions and they just hold that position. That was one thing I didn't quite understand until I made to, made it to DC. In, in DC, are the halls of power, are they as bleak and as dark and as occultish as we think they are i mean look at the i mean i think that's a great point i i didn't see like the occult aspect i would wasn't really that astute back then to actually look for it i remember when i was in dc larry king of the franklin credit scandal was somewhere in virginia and i knew people who knew of him um he was selling cars somewhere on in northern virginia and so some of that stuff's around i you know, there were other things. There were certain people. I, I remember talking about it the other day. That when I was on the Hill, there was like one senator. For, I think it was from Oregon. Like no girls were allowed to go into his office, and everybody knew, don't go into that guy's office. And then he subsequently got busted because he he was a space invader to these women. Um, so people talked. You know, the, the, one of the interesting things is that the the grapevine works very well in D.C. People are always gossiping kind of about political stuff and people. So that happened. But I really didn't see, you know, it was interesting. I I was I was down in northern uh, north DC once and I was sitting, I don't know what I was doing. I was outside the House of the Temple, which was a big time Masonic uh temple that's huge and it's really ornate and it has two large sphinxes out front. And yeah, I'm we like, were there I, last year. 
yeah, I remember looking at that going, what the heck is going on? What's up with this? And so, you know, I did see stuff, and there's a huge Masonic temple on Northern Virginia as well that I think was affiliated with Washington. So I was never a part of those. I was never a Mason or anything. You know, I just, so I, I was an outsider just observing all this kind of odd stuff. Well, that's amazing. All right. If we can, uh, kind of switching gears here, um, I want to talk a little bit about WikiLeaks and um, Julian Assange. Uh, have have you found anything in your research? A lot of people are speculating that uh, something has happened to Assange. We know that his Internet was cut, and I think there's only been one phone interview that he did that gives a, a, a timeline or a proof of life. Has there been any updates about what's going on with Assange? I thought I thought there was something within the last week where he came he he was able to give an interview, but I know that he's been uh, you know outside of the public eye for a while. So I don't know. I mean, I hope that okay. uh, he's able to get out of there, get out of the Ecuadorian embassy. So I mean, I think that he was an intermediary for all these people leaking the Podesta emails and all this other stuff. So I think that he provided strangely a, a service to the American public to have insight to. A lot of the secret stuff that was happening in D.C. So I give him credit for that. Yeah, my next question was going to be: Do you think Trump would have won the election without the the WikiLeaks emails? That's a great question. <laughs> I think that WikiLeaks probably might have turned the tide, and people saw the spear cooking and said, "We got to vote." You know, so a lot of people who might have been complacent, some of the more red state types who you know didn't care, I think that that might have turned the tide. So, you know, those states that people weren't sure about, Pennsylvania, Michigan, uh, you know, maybe some of those Christian people got got motivated and said, we don't want this occult stuff happening. So uh, it's a good question. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, I think it definitely had an impact. And uh, I think, you know, one thing that was interesting about this election cycle was how ridiculous the mainstream media became and the Hillary Clinton campaign became. Uh, things that were coming out in the emails uh, from you know, the laundering of uh, money from Haiti to um, all the way up, you know, to the pay-for-play scandals and all these different things that were coming out in the emails that she was already alleged of, of uh, doing. And they would turn around and, and throw this stuff and accuse Trump of doing these things that she was already accused of to see what would stick. And I think um, with, you know, with the help of WikiLeaks and with a number of, um, you know, independent journalists who and people who, finally, you know, did their own research and, and broke away from the mainstream media narratives and saw the truth of things, I think that led so many people to see the truth and, you know, subsequently go vote for, for Trump. And, you know, I think it was more... Uh, the mainstream media obviously was in the, the tank for Hillary Clinton, and yeah. I don't believe that... Uh, I think there was just a whole organic uh, movement. I think people were sick of the status quo, they're sick of the corruption, uh, the lack of transparency, and were willing to put their their hopes in in Donald Trump. Now, obviously, he's not you know um, he's just one politician, but it's a step in the right direction. And I think people were were sick of the, the way we were headed, and you know saw all the things that were going on and, and needed to change, wanted to change. Yeah, I mean, I think the country dodged a bullet. I mean, I, I Trump obviously isn't a perfect candidate, but Hillary Clinton was a mess, and her whole cartel. Just would have been a tra really a national tragedy. So that's probably another reason why people got out and voted. I mean, she imagine if she would have won, probably her chief of staff would have been this guy Podesta, right? I mean, yeah, it was her and then you look at her health 
you know, obvious, it's obvious she wasn't running, you know, her, where Trump was doing like, you know, three to five rallies a day, especially in the last month there. She was lucky if she could get one or two a week, um, with, yeah. with even a crowd of a few hundred. And, uh, then you saw the polls come out, which were all, you know, slanted. And I just looked at Real Clear Politics website today. And, and I remember before the election, you know, they had Hillary Clinton, they, they, they had all these polls and, she was up, you know, in Ohio and all these states where she lost by almost double digits in some cases. But the Electoral College was one indicator uh, there where she was up by a 100 and some votes, and then they took it down to 99, then it was up by 39 before the election. And um, I, I wonder, um, you know, how much voter fraud for Clinton, I wonder if the, the actual vote was, was so much toward Trump that that suppressed the voter fraud efforts of the Hillary Clinton campaign. That's um, a good point. They, yeah, I would they yeah, it's interesting too that like her kind of people were helped. Her chief of there was a Bravi Mook and Podesta. They haven't been on on social media since November eighth. They haven't really said anything. And Podesta hasn't even come out and denied any of these allegations that are swirling around him, which I think is you remarkable. Know, that to me, if I, I don't know, at some point. We we have people accuse us of all kinds of stuff, and I mean all the time. And if I mean if you just do a search on our names on the internet, my name in particular, you know, I, I mean people have recorded my voice played backwards and saying, you know, they say I'm saying, I don't know, some weird things. It's just it's it's just ridiculous out there. And you just when you're a public figure, you kind of ignore it. However, the deal breaker. If somebody called me, or if somebody used the the the, the word pedof- or, you know, pedophilia in my name in the same sentence, to me that's kind of like a deal breaker, or or satanic ritual abuse in my name. You know, I mean, there there's things that you just don't. But wouldn't you issue a general denial? Wouldn't you say, yeah, no way, I'm yeah. not involved with that. I've never been in this situation. I'm not a pedophile. I don't worship Aleister Crowley or Satan. So that is interesting because Elephantis has not done that. He's not come out and made a general denial. And to me, that's very telling. Yeah, nor has Podesta. And um, they didn't even claim that the the WikiLeaks emails were fake. They they uh, they haven't said anything to that matter. uh, You know, to to the that. And that gives it all the credibility to me, at least uh, from the emails. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. But what about what, what about the, um, the the one thing that bothered me about the images from on Twitter and Instagram and others on um, from this particular pizza shop? And again, I'm not alleging any wrongdoing here. You know how it goes. Uh, I'm not. I'm just asking a question. There was a guy. That, and I asked, I think Brittany Pettit on this. A guy kind of curled up or slithering, it looks like, on the floor, covered in what looked like blood or fake blood or something. What's that? Do you know what picture I'm talking about? Absolutely, sure. yes. He has a beard. Wait, wait, okay, who was that? Did we, did we identify that guy? Or was that guy I identified? He was identified as the bar as a bartender there, and Alephantis uh, 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 did comment about that picture. I think he wrote something like sex or. If my memory serves me correct, but yeah, it's not Alephantis. It My understanding is that it's his bartender. Okay. Yeah, I was just curious. I, I didn't. I didn't see any uh, real attribution to, to who that was. 
uh, wow. So you've you've connected a lot of dots here, and since you've been on, with respect to the uh, uh, the emails, the SRA indications or suggestions of SRA, uh, satanic ritual abuse, the Satanism aspect of things, and of course, uh, Marina Abramovic. My goodness, what a what a tortured soul she is, and some of those paintings in in the Podesta household that are alleged to be there. I was never in this house, so I don't know if they're hanging there or not. I've seen pictures of the sculpture. That sculpture, uh, was it in Tony Podesta's house or... or uh, I think Tony it was in to- hanging up in the in the entrance to Tony Podesta's house is my understanding. Okay, and that was that, that Dahmer-esque, Dahmer-esque kind of figure? Wow. Correct. That, yeah, apparently the artist based that upon... Some woman, like uh, somebody who was in an extreme state in an insane insane asylum. So ah, okay, um, that, that, yeah. so that's, that that makes it all better. That, that makes it all better now, folks. We're talking with, <laughs> but it does with look authors. like a Dahmer victim. And you know that Alephantis was the head. They're finding out that he owned a uh, avant-garde art studio. Hold that thought, Mr. Ramsey. We're up against the break. Uh, we'll pick up right where we left off. We're talking with William Ramsey, occultinvestigations.com. We'll be right back after this. Stay with us. William Ramsey is our guest. What a great man. What a great guy. What a great source of information. It, this is all around information. To me, this is what Christian radio should be, or from a biblical worldview, looking at the wiles of the enemy and, and what we're up against, what we're fighting against. His books, I have been told. Actually, I got a couple of emails from people uh, who have his books. Abomination, Devil Worship and Deception in West Memphis in the West Memphis Three Murders, being one prophet of evil, Alistair Crowley, nine eleven and the New World Order being another one. Uh and of course he's got three books. Check out his website, occultinvestigations.com, and also his YouTube. Follow him on on his social networking as well. I would do all of that. Before we get back to Mr. Ramsey, very quickly, uh uh and Joe, remind me to ask about uh, the Supreme Court. I'm, I want to ask uh, Mr. Ramsey about the Supreme Court Justice uh, uh, Scalia, if he has any feelings on that in, re- in relation to what's going on. Uh, we we have about a dozen emails in the studio about that. Uh, but anyway, uh, before we get back to Mr. Ramsey, MinutemanStove.com. What can I say about Minuteman Stove except this is the best, the finest, the, the greatest rocket stove in existence in my view. Miniman stove, it, it takes a little, just a little bit of wood. It, it concentrates the heat. It, it, it whatever they, how, however they manufactured this thing. It, it brilliant, it brilliant. And by the way, this is made in America, and it's also serving with our troops in Af- Afghanistan and Iraq, but, but, and these are all handmade, battle proven. You cannot believe how rugged these stoves are and the, the way they're insulated. It's just a fantastic product. It's self-contained. It's, it seals airtight for travel and storage. It's the only self-contained rocket stove on the market. It's it, What it is is a 50 caliber ammo can designed and fe- uh, to feature the 
of a lid, you know, with the rubber seal, as I mentioned, the carrying handle. It weighs about 14 pounds. It travels clean. There's no smell or soot that will get inside your vehicle or where it's stored. Um, using the Minuteman stove, when we used it, and we can verify this, very little smoke, if any. So if giving out your position or if smoke irritates you or giving out your position is a, is a problem, you won't have it with Minuteman stove. Visit MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. And I guess, uh, again, our guest William Ramsey, uh, the death of Supreme Court Justice Scalia under kind of odd circumstances, Mr. Ramsey, what do you think? Well, I do know that the there was a reference to his death in the WikiLeaks uh, emails, something about Scalia dying or uh, something about wet work somebody referenced. I don't know if you guys have heard about that, but he yeah. definitely died. I mean, he wasn't in great shape, but, uh, yeah. I mean, I heard he died with a pillow over his head. Yeah, the yeah. wet works term was was in the email, and it was in reference to, uh, you know, what did they think wet works was a, a pool party in in Martha's Vineyard or something like that. Um, and I, I can't remember. It so, was Podesta was involved in the chain, uh, if he wasn't the author of that email chain specifically. <coughs> Excuse me. And then there was um, apparently in the emails that there wasn't there a map uh, that that tied into the uh, ranch where Scalia was found dead, if I remember correctly. I don't remember seeing that. I don't remember seeing that. Uh, I think I do remember. Done. Go ahead, sir. No, I was just going to say, I do remember the wet, get ready for wet works, and then he died subsequently. Interesting. Yeah, right. only, only a few days later. Um, and, and that's... Uh, you know, very, very telling. And, you know, back to this, this fake news, uh, there's a story, um, from the Washington Post I just came across that is talking about, um, these, uh, the, re- we're going to put a bullet in your head at Pizzagate threads terrorize DC shop owners. And, you know, they keep pushing this narrative of fake news and conspiracy theories and how, um, you know, uh, what happened on Sunday. And this article actually says that the, uh, there were shots fired um, in that pizza shop, which others um, had reported that they weren't sure or couldn't verify it. But um, they're they're painting this whole big picture that you know this is all um, these are all false allegations, and it seems that they're they're doing this really. I mean, they're really pushing this, and they didn't do this with nine eleven. They didn't do this with Sandy Hook. They didn't even do this with uh, Oklahoma City, and but now they're pushing this this fake news narrative. And um, one thing that's interesting that you know I follow some of the the comments and in, in different internet forum threads, and apparently somebody went back and and edited the acting page for this uh, this guy who was in this comet ping pong pizza on Sunday to put a movie and this wasn't actually this did not happen, but they they edited the movie page to make it look like he starred in a movie about being a false flag shooter in a pizza shop. Which, you know, how much of, of this do you think is, is them trying to cover their butts with this information, uh, what we're seeing coming out versus, I mean, you've made a lot of the, the connections. And as my dad said earlier, it's kind of, you know, the proof is, is, I mean, these guys are it's all talking in undertones and coded language and, you know, the, the symbolic elusive, stuff yeah. with the, the pictures yeah. and the, the imagery. It's very, it is elusive. And, um, it's going to be hard to find proof, you know, um, at least right now, until more information comes out. 
But how much uh, disinformation do you think is is involved in this Pizzagate? And, and do you think that the establishment and the people in charge are putting out this disinformation? And if I can add one more question, where do you think the disinformation is being um, inserted? Well, that's an excellent question. I mean, I do think that there's a cover-up taking place. I do think that I've seen the message boards. You've seen Reddit's page where all of the Pizzagate uh, research was being placed, was shut down. I can't remember any time that a Reddit thread's been shut down. And all of that hard work that people have been putting in to try to make these connect- connections is gone. It's moved to boat, B-O-A-T dot C-O. But, uh, yeah, that to me is another element of the cover-up. And it's important to remember that Alephantis' ex-boyfriend was David Brock, who was really a left-wing propagandist through Correct the Record, who were very active prior to the election on November 8th, um, covering for Hillary Clinton and actually posting on message boards, YouTube, all over the place. I've known some other uh, content creators say Correct the Record was all over the place. So it wouldn't surprise me at all that they're involved. I have seen uh, new stuff come out. I believe that the whole notion that this is a PSYOP is actually a PSYOP. I think it's a complex uh, cover to try to confuse and con- conflate information without kind of ever addressing the Instagram. I haven't seen any major media outlet take one picture from uh, Alephantis' in- uh, Instagram page and put it post it because they are very suspicious. I mean, the one with the kid, the ritualized kids is off the chart. So, sure. Um, I do think that that will be an ongoing thing. This whole fake news, I think, is a is a creation by all of these media outlets that are owned by huge corporations who are seeing what they paid for, these media outlets, so they could basically uh, have their own kind of propaganda outlets. They've seen their, their viewers just be kind of deflate, and all of these other news outlets are picking up steam. Infowars is a good example. So I think that this whole fake news... Uh, memes or this fake news kind of concepts that they're putting out there is really an attempt to shore up their uh, loss of audience. Interesting. And, and uh, obvious as well, at least it should be to, to all of us. I'd like to get into your, your books a little bit. Prophet of Evil, Aleister Crowley, 9-11, and the New World Order. Wow, that's a mouthful. If you can kind of I mean, th- th- well, that what's not involved in that? But well, th- that. you know, I put that whole long title together because I didn't think that people would put those kind of personages and events together. Nine Eleven and Aleister Crowley. That sounds ridiculous. The New World Order. Why are you putting all this together? Well, what what I found during my research into Nine Eleven, I came across an article by a guy by the name of Colonel May. He was an ex-military guy who noticed that all these Elevens were kind of uh, more preponderant than than probability in the events of September 11th. And I kind of played on that and wondered why these the numbers are important. Well, what that led me to is Aleister Crowley and that the, the numerology of kind of Aleister Crowley and the Western magical tradition was integrated into 9-11. 11 is like this negative number. I talk about it in the book. But it's also the number of magic. It's the number of putting the macrocosm and microcosm together, the pentagram and the hexagram. And so 11, 77, 93, and 175 can all be traced to Crowley. 93 really is a Crowley number. It represents Thelema, which was in the Podesta emails, and Agape. So Thelema's will, Agape is love. So my whole, the whole thesis of that book is to show that Crowley's ideas not just were integrated in the events of 9-11, but in the policies and objectives 
of what the perpetrators of 9-11 intended to have an effect upon the world. They wanted to affect change in conformance with will. That was something that Crowley believed in. And I believe that they tried, they were interested in the same kind of feudal situation that uh, were the objectives of the New World Order, this kind of neo-feudal elite class that would rule, uh, kind of rule over a bunch of uh, serfs. So I think that Crowley wrote about that. He really, his ideal society was an aristocratic society. Uh, he used to say the slaves shall serve. So he believed in an aristocratic revolution, and I believe that the the individuals who were the people behind the ideology of 9-11 had that same ideal. And uh, so that's really really the book was 9-11, that's Prophet of Evil. And Crowley thought of himself as a prophet. That's why I titled it Prophet of Evil. Crowley thought of himself as a prophet of a new age, really a new aeon. And so he really thought of himself as a prophet, not of only of the new aeon, but of Satan. He wanted to become Satan's chief of staff. And so that was why I had huh. to kind of go into detail about his background and his biography. I see. Well, okay, so well, are you now back to nine eleven? The the flight numbers that, that you mentioned. Are you saying that that the the it was the the flights were selected based on the um, satanic I'm, numerology? Yes, or I do believe that. Or, I believe the that they, I think the whole structure, the event was structured very carefully to uh, make it a magical working. I believe that the actual buildings have numerological significance. Uh, they're all 110 stories tall. I believe that they represent, like, uh, the, uh, Boaz and Jachin. They represent duality. They represent, like, the number 11. They're really just a big number 11 in the skyline. So I do believe that they were built with those occult notions integrated into them and that the actual plane numbers, uh, were selected because of their numerological value. So plane 11 was the first plane to hit and then it was, uh, I believe it was was it 77 or 175 and 93 kind of blew up over Shanksville but I do believe all those numbers can be traced back to Crowley and if you read the book I think I lay out uh, in detail why those numbers are relevant to Alistair Crowley and his ideas yes uh, and in fact uh, I, I have some I just looked at the studio email and somebody has read your book and said yeah you better get it for Christmas and um, getting into the the 9-11 connection. So this is, okay, thank you for that. Wow. Sure. Um, all right, what do we need to know? He, here it is, 2016. Uh, it'll be 2017 here shortly. What do we need to know in terms of the occult, what your investigations have revealed contemporaneous? I mean, there's certainly things that are taking place that behind the scenes, in the back rooms, the dark smoke-filled rooms, the incense-filled rooms, the where the pentagrams are and such, I'm sure that there are, there are black masses rituals taking place. What do we need to know about how what what things are happening and how they may impact uh, our future, if, if anything? Or is that too broad of a well, question? No, I don't think it is. I think it's an excellent question. And my answer is that uh, humanity is involved in a spiritual war that's taking place. And I do. I'm a Christian. I do believe uh, Jesus Christ was. Son of God, the Messiah, and I believe that there's an evil spirit, an antagonist towards humanity, references Satan, who has objectives that are uh, contradictory towards God's plan for humanity, and they're both working their way through human events and new people, and some people have decided that 
uh, going through the left-hand path is their way, and they actually want to make changes in society and in history to fulfill satanic objectives. And I do think that there are followers of Jesus Christ who are trying to uh, have their own impact upon other human beings through preaching the gospel or educating other people that are in uh, consistent with what the objectives of Jesus Christ are and God. So that would be my advice, is that this great spiritual war that's been taking place, humanity is taking place today, now, 2016. You know, we fight not against flesh and blood, but we fight against uh, powers and principalities. So I do think my books indicate and show that there is a an intent, a current of these kind of satanic ideas that flow through Crowley, through 9-11, through the children of the beast who are trying to make changes that are consistent with satanic ideology and, and are integrated into the events of the West Memphis Three, believe it or not, even though that was a murder case that took place in 1993, it involves well-known celebrities that uh, people watch in movies, uh, Johnny yeah, Depp. Look, and, if you don't mind, expand on this, because my question in others sending emails, we're talking about young people involved in satanic activities and the relationship between uh, celebrities and the satanic activities their influence over over people. So, yeah, to, to so take the cover, off the cover story, the cover story that was built up around the West Memphis Three, the events that took place May fifth, nineteen ninety three, is that these three um, hapless kids from West of Memphis were uh, railroaded and blamed for the murder of three eight year old children. And that was really kind of a public relations stunt pulled by them and their advisors and attorney, in my opinion, their attorneys to allay suspicious from the suspicion from them. But when you read the court cases and look at what the actual juries were looking at back then is that these guys um, were heavily involved in the occult. They thought of themselves as a, as, you know, they actually tattooed evil on their knuckles, EVIL, and they were involved in all kinds of uh, evil deeds. And the center figure of, of, of the, of the story of the West Memphis Three was a guy by the name of Mike Hutchison, who changed his name to Damien Eccles, who stated publicly in his documentary, West of Memphis, that he wanted to be the greatest magician that ever lived. And that he also stated recently that he was prosecuted for his love of Aleister Crowley, which really piqued my interest in the case to begin with. So I took a position that really was against uh, the public relations and the public, in my opinion, what the public understood of this case and actually show, I think, in my opinion, conclusively that these guys were heavily involved in the occult, that they admired Aleister Crowley and that they committed the crime of ritually torturing and murdering three kids in May 5th, 1993. But they got out of jail with the support of very well-known celebrities. All these people kind of rallied around them. Johnny Depp, Henry Rollins, Margaret Chow, uh, Dave Navarro. And when I first was researching the case, I really didn't know that much about him, but as I kind of researched him more and more, I was like, oh, occultist, occultist. And I think that that was the uh, interest that bound them towards this case is that they were a lot of these people who supported the core people who supported the West Memphis Three also had an interest in the occult. How many, how many teenagers, young people, kids, whatever, do you think are involved in the dark arts? I shouldn't even say dark arts. Satanism, uh, the occult. Today, I think it's I think it's growing in popularity. I do show in the book. I tried to to kind of show that the other people were involved. Other young kids did occult 
murders uh, because they were interested in what they thought they could benefit from it. So I do show in the book a lot of other cult crimes by young teenagers, but I think that it's a it's a growing interest. I think with the growth of Harry Potter and the kind of public decline of Christian values and ideas, I think that there are these other ideologies that are taking the place. And one of those ideologies is Satanism, Levain Satanism, Wicca, and uh, to which I can trace Wicca back directly to Aleister Crowley. Gerald Gardner was an OTO member, made an OTO member by Aleister Crowley. So I do think it's a growing interest. I couldn't, I couldn't give you a number, a statistical number, but I feel like the ideas of witchcraft are, are definitely out there. Uh, I, I, there, there's uh, half a dozen questions that I want to ask you from listeners. One of which is uh, the ritualistic Super Bowl type. Uh, well, you, you see things taking place at the Super Bowl, the halftime show, the Olympics. What, what, what about the? Are there? Is there? there, there a, go ahead. I do believe there. There's. They're subjecting the public to satanic symbolism. I've seen. T- you know, there was. Jimmy Page at the Olympics in Beijing where he uh, did a whole lot of love. This guy who was an OTO member, heavy-duty Crowley worshiper, uh, singing a whole lot of love in front of an audience of hundreds of millions of people. I've also seen, like Katy Perry wrote out, The Woman Rides the Beast, the kind of symbolism that comes out of Revelations, to which Crowley adapted and adopted into his system. He actually called himself the Beast, and he actually had scarlet women. So, uh, you know, you see the symbology that can directly be traced through Crowley-type Satanism. So I do think it's happening. I think that a lot of those huge, uh, you know, Super Bowl and Olympic-type uh, kind of public public stunts are actually ritualized. For yeah. a reason, right? I mean, yes. there's a reason behind Absolutely. that. To expose, expose the public to these symbols and ideas, hopefully to get them attracted to it. And the insiders all know. Um, so I, and I do think a lot of the false flag ops, some of the, especially the London bombing 7-7 were ritualized as well. What, what about Planned Parenthood, the abortion aspect? Uh, you could take it's, it any uh, way you want to go. I'm, I was just thinking that Planned Parenthood, you know, the abortion epidemic, I think is, is disgusting and an abomination. So I do, you know, I was surprised so many people supported Hillary Clinton for her position on about Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood. I mean, some of these people obviously haven't read Margaret Sanger. They wouldn't support Hillary Clinton. They clearly Clinton lied. They must just not be low information type voters who didn't do research. But Hillary Clinton said very positive things about Margaret Sanger, who was as racist it was racist as Hitler. Mm-hmm. So it's like come <laughs> yeah, on, promoting guys, eugenics. Wait. To a whole yeah. race of, of, of American oh. individuals and openly promoting it as, as that. Um, yeah. And then she called you know, black people weeds and yeah, it's like, are you, why are you voting for Hillary Clinton? So, um, it's unfortunate. I, I think we're kind of deep into an anti-life, uh, kind of anti-Christian society. Unfortunately, it didn't, that's not how this country started, but I think that's the, the unfortunate ebb of where our kind of general culture and society is headed. Do you think that's... Well, maybe it'll turn around with Trump, you know? Maybe Trump will turn it around. I don't know. Hmm. Do you you think the the, um, spread of uh, and the the people leaving Christianity and the the 
um, the growth of Wicca and, and Satanism as uh, a result of the internet, or do you see this as something that has just been spiritual in nature uh, from the beginning? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think because when information grows, you see, you know, these people kind of, you know, they believe their own ideology, and if they never had a foundation in 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 Christianity and Jesus, then you know they they're they're taken away, and and it's yeah. just um, very few find their way back. Yeah, I mean that's a good point. I think that you know I think that our public schools have lost that. You know they can't talk about faith in public public forums, and I think that people's you know these ideologies, Wicca and Satanism, fill that gap. So I think uh, I think it's unfortunate. I think that. I mean, talking myself in particular, you. I think we all have to kind of take that space and fight for what's right. Fight for you know Jesus Christ and the you know the, as the Messiah and the Bible as a proper guide for our lives and our society. Amen to that. Uh, in the remaining couple minutes, two minutes we have left here, uh, where can we find more of your investigative? work product, your YouTube channel, uh, where would you direct people, our audience, to to get the latest from William Ramsey? Signed copies of all my books. I just Children of the Beast just came out about four or five months ago. Signed copies of all of my books can be found at my website, www.coldinvestigations.com. I do post a lot on Facebook under William Ramsey. I have a YouTube channel called William Ramsey Investigates with a ton of videos about the West Memphis Three if people haven't been exposed to kind of my ideas about it, I would recommend looking that because there's tons of evidence there. I have information about 9-11, Hillary Clinton's illness, Pizzagate, so, uh, and just kind of occult Hollywood stuff that I post there a lot. So YouTube, William Ramsey Investigates, I'm on Twitter. So I try to kind of put stuff out all over the place as best I can. You're, you're the man. You are the man. I, I am just fascinated by your work, your fine work, your investigative research. Now, you're an attorney, correct? You're a lawyer? Correct. Yeah, I'm still a member of the state bar. Correct. I passed All the bar right. in 1998. Okay. Well, right that explains. Came back and took the bar. Yeah. Okay. Well, that explains the way that the layout of your investigative work product, and I think it's a fine work product. Uh, so we'll be we'll be following you, and certainly uh, we'll be going to your website. I know I just wrote my my wife a note uh, to to get your signed book. So if we go to William Ram or uh, occultinvestigations.com, we can get your signed copies or signed copies of your books, right? Correct. Okay, good. That'll be done. Uh, Eric, make sure my wife gets something out. Okay. All right. All right. In William the, Ramsey's been our guest. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, we just have one minute left before the break. Um, just your opinion on the, the fake news um, theme and, and this. Uh, we have a bill in the House that passed uh, trying to label sites and, and news as Russian propaganda. Do you think that this will... Uh, are we going to see a continuation away from the mainstream media, or are they going to be able to, to get censorship passed and, and shut down the alternative media, in your opinion? Well, I think that's a great question. I think we're due for a huge change January 20th, so hopefully that this kind of censorship this uh, will not take place, and I hope that bill does not pass. I do think that the attacks against what's called the alternative media will continue as long as the mass media uh, loses uh, market share and audience. So I think that that will continue, and they'll try to trick and confuse the public. But I think that their legitimacy keeps deflating by the day. And I don't really know anybody 
He's a critical thinker who actually takes anything put out on TV or the mass media at face value. So, you know, it's hard to get those yeah, listeners back once you lose them. That's very true. Uh, Mr. Ramsey, thank you so much for, for joining us. We hope to have you back soon. Uh, great. It's been a great interview. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Joe. I really appreciate God it. Bless you, great All right. God bless. Folks, you can find William Ramsey on Twitter at Occult911 or go to his website, uh, occultinvestigations.com. When we come back, as we have every Tuesday in our third hour, Stan Dale will be joining us to give us his insight on the latest uh, current events and things he's looking into and investigating. So we'll be right back with Stan Dale after these short messages. Stay with us. edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We are joined, as we are each and every Tuesday, with Stan Dale from StanDale.com. Folks, go to StanDale.com and on the right-hand side of the webpage, um, right next to the microphone, click Show Images. There you can pull up the images that uh, Stan has compiled and put together as we go through and talk about the stuff that he has on his website. You know, it's always fun. I, I just love Tuesday nights with Stan. Uh, I, he's, a, he's a great guy. So much information on his website as well. Before we get to Stan, Folks, have you visited Water by Cindy? Water by Cindy. That's waterbycindy.com. You know, water is the most important substance in the world. You know that. And drinking plenty of water on a daily basis, it's vital to our health. It carries nutrients to our cells, helps with digestion. It flushes out toxins. It helps prevent headache and fatigue and can even aid in weight loss. Now, Consider the fact that our bodies are up to 75% water and staying well hydrated is critical to our optimum health and survival. You know, all water, it's just not created equal. You might have well water, you might have city water, but you need, and I really believe in this product, you need a Kangen, Kangen water, uh, uh, water filter that is available via Water by Cindy. I would urge everyone to check this product out. You can change the pH of the water that comes out of your tap. You can make your own healthy alkaline antioxidant drinking water that's rich to uh, rich in minerals and, and purged of impurities right in your own home. No more bottled water. This is a one-stop Cadillac of all water treatment products. This is the best I've ever found. Water by Cindy. We use it in the Hagman household. It's made a difference. You can change the water actually you, you, to clean your ca- clean your counters. It's all, you can almost make the equivalent of a water or a, a counter cleaner by changing the pH of the water, or you can use it as an astringent on your skin. It, it's just an amazing, amazing product. Check it out, waterbycindy.com. And the nice part about this too is her phone number is right on the website. It's right there, waterbycindy.com, and her email and contact information, it's right there. It makes it really easy for you, waterbycindy.com. Make sure you mention you heard it on the Hagman and the Hagman Report. You're going to be hearing more about them. Um, Stan, are you with us? I am. It's uh, great to have me? you back on. 
Yeah, yep. I can hear you loud and clear. Okay, just checking. Um, it's great to have you back on the show. I'm looking at your show images page and uh, see a lot of interesting stuff. I don't know where you want to start tonight. Um, Pick a point. Uh, yeah, you know, one thing that I see on your website here that I saw earlier, I saw yesterday and uh, today, and, and this is the first time I'm checking out the pictures of it, is the sinkhole where a, a off-duty police officer died when his vehicle um got caught in the sinkhole and um looking at the picture of this now that's a, a massive hole there yeah it was um and it is but uh, apparently they had a lot of uh, rain down there and the uh, sewer line burst and uh, or broke and the leak from it uh, eroded out underneath the road uh, allowing the road to collapse when there were cars went over the top of it it was um a, a off-duty or kind of like a uh, deputy, uh, but she was really a court reporter. She was 69, and uh, she'd kind of substitute part-time as a, a San Antonio deputy. Now, the thing that's interesting about this is we're seeing these sinkholes and collapses all over the planet for various reasons, but nearly every time it's because of some kind of fluid flow, like water primarily, that has eroded the, the structure underneath uh, a street or you know a building or, or a house or whatever, and causing it to sink. Um, this you know, is not; it's more prominent now than it used to be. We've covered this in, in the last couple of years as well, but it's you know it can be explained away as a natural event, a natural occurrence because this line or that line broke. But I don't think that these lines would break uh, under normal circumstances unless the planet were expanding a bit and stretching. Uh, you know, putting pressure on all these joints because I don't think that our engineers uh, building you know municipal uh, structures like this would be that careless to just put a shoddy job in you know years ago and that would just break apart you know from age uh, we're only talking 10 to 20 years of some of the infrastructure breaks we've seen so th this is to me another indicator of a, of a growing problem as I think the earth's diameter is changing slightly not, may not be jumping up to you know like uh, another 10% bigger than what it is now. In fact, some of my research shows that in uh, time, the Earth may actually contract back a bit as it cools, and the core of the planet cools uh, to where it's just frozen like the, the moon and various other planets that are now old and cold. But until that time, we're having fluctuations in the diameter of the Earth, in my opinion, which are causing some of these sinkhole-type disasters to occur. Yeah, and you know, I guess that's not something I thought about is the uh, engineers' designs and and um, you know the way that they um, created these things and how quick they can um, you know be ruined. But um, another one is the salt deposits. We've seen this with water, and and I think with salt deposits, the sinkholes under areas where there are um, mines and other. Um, uh, old salt deposits that that just sit underneath the the landmass and and are taken away or or mined out and um it's just very interesting to see I, I don't know if it's because of the internet or or what but there's definitely been an uptick in the coverage of the number of sinkholes and it seems to just um I just remember that Florida one that happened a few years back where a guy was sleeping in his bed and and he got uh, dropped down a hole yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, Florida, you can understand. I mean, there have been a number of sinkholes over the last, you know, few decades that have been kind of reported in local press over there and generally reported in 
due to Australia being, I'm sorry, Australia, to, to Florida being a very uh, low-level kind of flat, uh, well, like sandbar attached to the United States, and it's just got such a low sea level uh, signature all across the state that you see things like uh, golf courses that are built on sand dunes that are suffering from, you know, extra holes appearing, and they're not part of the 18 holes that are normally there. But it's due to the, the natural erosion under these very shallow land masses. But when you get inland, you know, into Texas, up in, into the interior of Texas and various other places around the world where they're on higher ground, then you have to start taking notice of it. And uh, the salt uh, deposits you were talking about, I think, are probably referring to the ones over in the Gulf uh, coastal states like Louisiana, Mississippi, where particularly in Louisiana where you have uh, salt dive piers, they're called, which are like salt domes that are buried underneath all the, the, the surface dirt. And those have either been excavated by companies like Texas Instruments and others who need to get rid of uranium or radioactive waste or poisonous waste. They would drop it down into these salt diapiers that they excavated partially. And um, because the salt was so thick, they figured it would be a nice, safe place to put it. But um, uh, quote-unquote natural erosions have eaten away some of these salt diapiers as well from leaks. And, of course, now then they're collapsing and letting the radioactive material and toxins escape into the surrounding dirt and uh, water flows. So, you know, it's a comedy of errors that allow these things to happen, but it's still something to watch. These these sinkholes, to me, are uh, indicators of a bigger problem. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And just to, for folks out there, just imagine if there was no infrastructure to to come and fix these things, how out of hand that could get, you know, in a survival type situation and just, um, you know, become just such a, uh, it could become a matter of survival for people, but, um, hopefully we never, we never reach that point. Um, you have a number of interesting yeah, things on your website. If I can, we got if I can punch in here. Go for it. White House. Embittered World War II vets should get over Japanese leaders Pearl Harbor visit. Yeah. Yes. You know, look, I, I can see, uh, you know, my dad being, you know, World War II veteran, uh, he's now passed, of course, but um, it, that there would be bitterness toward Japan and toward Germany as, as our former uh, adversaries in World War II. As far as, you know, getting upset about the Japanese prime minister not coming over to make a deal uh, with uh, Trump, uh, the new Trump administration, you know, I don't know that I would be publicly upset about that, but I I reserve their right to feel kind of, you know, it's too soon for them having survived the Pearl Harbor uh, surprise attack uh, because the Japanese at that time were considered to be uh, rather sneaky for that. And uh, so here we are with the prime minister of a sneaky nation now doing businesses. Well, uh, as I say, to make a big deal about it and protest the the arrival of this uh, banker that's uh, promising to put you know fifty thousand new jobs into the country, I don't know that I would go that far, you know. But there again, I'm not a uh, survivor uh, of uh, the Pearl Harbor invasion or anything like that. But um, you know, there, there's pros and cons about the the uh, their opinion anyway, and I think they should have just kind of. The White House should not really have come out and, and addressed it in that manner. I think uh, telling them they'll get over it or they should get over it is um, a little bit, you know, stress-producing in this case. 
Yeah, exactly. I know I agree with that. My my father was a World War II vet in the Philippines, and um, that was the theater of operation right after right after Pearl Harbor. So, yeah. Well, without singling out the Japanese, let me say that a lot of the uh, Asian nations, uh, you know, on our Western Pacific uh, rim there, um, seem to be very um, brutal when they're in war, you know, with their torture and, um, you know, um, in prison, uh, in prison type uh, tactics they use, uh, people they capture in various uh, wars. I mean, going all the way back to Genghis Khan, you know, cutting off heads, putting them on stakes, and, uh, and then, of course, if you read the World War II thing, and the, and the islands Japanese controlled, uh, when they captured U.S. flyers or ground troops or whatever, they weren't really operating under the uh, Geneva Convention, shall we say, uh, in how they treated the prisoners. Um, and they were exceptionally brutal and sadistic. So it might be a mindset that the veterans are remembering. Uh, certainly, I wouldn't want to go through what they went through over there as prisoners. Indeed not. Hmm. Tomorrow's December 7th, folks, the anniversary of Pearl Harbor. Just just in case you forgot. And for the snowflakes out there, yeah. The 75th anniversary, yeah. That's right. But, yeah, you know what, I'm not going to say what I was going to say to the snowflakes out there, because so, uh, I, I, I don't want you to have to run to your safe space and uh, cry and report to the <laughs> PC police. They, they are so far removed from the times that uh, our dads knew, and, and, and even us as young children, that it's uh, you know probably of no interest to them, and uh, they would consider it a non-issue. But, uh yeah, having lived in those times, we can we can sympathize, can't we? Yeah, we can. Stan, I'm going to say on air. In fact, I was going to send you an email. I, I received the person maybe listening to this program um, in the mail. I received a paper. I don't have it with me uh, in the studio. Uh, maybe the next after the next segment, I can grab it from my office. Um, it, it's about planet X, and this is an amateur astronomer describing the type of telescope being used. He's, what do you call them, astrophotographers? Is is that the word? I'm not sure. But had taken some pictures of, well, I wouldn't do it justice, but but, uh, had given given some coordinates of what he had seen and photographed uh, with respect to planet X or some sort of anomaly that could be associated with Planet X. Uh, would you be interested in, in reviewing that if I send that to you? I guess I could have done this off air, but if I yeah, well, off, you know, have a yeah, if you find it, uh, send it across to me while we're on air, if you want. But um, otherwise, uh, wait till later and then send it to me. I have a look at it. You know, uh, so far I've found none of these things that people have sent these photos to be anything more than photo artifacts are misinterpreting what they're seeing, you know, as, okay. as artifacts being like, you know, some planet or something like that. There's always been some very logical reason that it appeared to be, you know, Planet X. And so I don't mind explaining that to folks, uh, you know, uh, but so far I've not seen evidence myself that, uh, that proves it's in that close. Uh, there is a, right. a lost planet out there somewhere. I do know that, but... 
No, this is a, high, a pretty high-power telescope, and it, it's it, it's actually not a photograph of an object as much as it is. Well, I, I'm not even sure the the terminology that I can. Well, let me have a look at it. I mean, in fairness yeah. uh, to to what the guys want to know, uh, let's look at it with a new set of eyes and uh, open yeah. mind and, and see what he's got. Yeah, um, well, it came somebody's got to find this thing out there. Well, sure. Yeah, I mean, th- this came certified and. Uh, you know, with the priority and express, and I mean, it, oh, it's an actual photo, is it? Um, no. What I'll do, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll rather than to attempt to, for me to attempt to describe it to you, it uh, it's papers giving coordinates and and uh, explanations and verification of his ability to take photographs via his telescope. Uh, it, it's pretty it's pretty involved, so I'll, I'll send it to you. But I just wanted to let you know right. that, that does exist. So, okay. All right. All right. Well, I'll have a look yeah. at it. It's coming at you. And Stan, have you have you seen um, recent reports about things going on in Antarctica? John Kerry going over there. Apparently, Buzz Aldrin was there. Yeah, what a few that? weeks ago, and was medevac to New Zealand. Uh, and there's other it world leaders there. It is interesting. It is interesting. I've been getting emails about that, as you guys have, about the number of world leaders and uh, famous people have been, you know, uh, going down there. Why? Um, and I have no answer other than a suspicion that it might be related to the projects that, you know, uh, Teller, that I work for under Dr. Teller, that it's some kind of advanced technology or, you know, um, the precursor to the uh, uh, revealing of the alien presence on the planet, I guess is the simplest way to say it. You know, um, uh, a lot of activity has occurred down in the South Pole region and all the nations that have claimed a pie wedge out of it, uh, you know, they have to spend a great deal of money and get down there, so I'm pretty sure they control the news that gets out of there. Um, there are other factors to consider uh, in that the the temperature, uh, sudden temperature drop at Antarctica is of interest. Um, you know, I have a link to uh, the article and uh, to a, a composite photo put up there of the graphs. Uh, maybe it's this drop in this sudden drop in sea ice coverage at the South Pole that's got everybody worried and they're going down there to um, to have a look at it. Uh, John Kerry, of course, would be supporting Al Gore type, you know, uh, planetary uh, warming uh, type thing, human uh, activity, and so that might be to his advantage to go down there and take pictures and say, ah, see here the the ice extent's uh, changing, but certainly it is and. Um, the ice extent, if you look at the graphs that I've got there in uh, image number four, uh, if you look at that, you'll see the, the the coverage of ice, not so much the thickness, but the sea ice going out away from the land of Antarctica covering you know, out over the water. That sea ice, the coverage has dropped suddenly, whereas it was increasing uh, from 1978 to about 2004. 14, a little bit into 15, you can see by the graph that the the area of sea ice down the South Pole was increasing gradually on this curve um, in you know so many million square kilometers as they show in the graph, and certainly that would indicate um, the opposite of global warming. It would be like global cooling because uh, it's it, it more sea ice going out over the ocean. But then, in 2015, 2016, it dropped like a rock. I mean, if you look at that graph, that little black line is no mistake. Uh, 
increasing from 78 to 2014 15 bang it drops down like uh, you know a record low for that period now why global warming didn't occur suddenly so why was ice increasing over the sea the portion of the antarctic and then suddenly drop massively what caused that sudden hating and if you look at the north pole graph you can see that's more of a believable graph in that it's uh, the North Pole ice coverage is from the same period of time from 1978 to 2015 is on a, a fixed kind of uh, drop so that you could say well the North Pole is being affected by global warming uh, in opposition to the South Pole but even the decline in the sea coverage, ice coverage in the North Pole even that did a real sudden drop in 2015-2016. I'd been looking at, as we've talked about before on the show, as a a function of the the periodic thinning of the uh, mantle at the poles, both north and south, uh, more so the north for some reason, as the earth perhaps was expanding and contracting and going through a state where it might actually open up into the core of the planet, like, you know, the rumors of Admiral Byrd having seen warm tropical uh, land that he flew over at the North Pole. Now, whether that's ever been uh, proven or not is another thing, but uh, the the graph for the North Pole showing the kind of gradual, if you wish, decrease in sea ice would explain, uh, would, could be explained by that, uh, that polar opening I'm talking about. But why did it only occur at the North Pole when at the South Pole the sea ice extent was increasing? Now, I know that uh, we have direct current flows in the surface of the Earth in the what's called the uh, the telluric or Earth currents down under the, and including the mantle. When you have electricity, like from a battery, plus and minus, not alternating current, but like you know, from a battery, when you have that... Um, transferring heat from one area to another, one way the current flow will will actually heat up an area it's going to, and the other way it will cool the area it's coming from. Uh, thermoelectrics, you know, thermoelectric batteries and things like this, or generators, use this technique to generate electricity from a hot uh, pair of electrodes to a cool pair. Now, what is happening inside the planet? We should have a balanced transfer of Electrons, you know, electricity, like a battery, from, say, our equatorial regions to our polar regions. And I would think that it would be the same for the North and South Pole. But what we're saying is that electricity appears to be flowing inside the planet, up through the North Pole and out into the atmosphere and, you know, the mantle back toward the equator. And in opposition to what's happening down at the South Pole, it seems to be coming. Uh, into that area as though we look at the whole planet as a battery top being let's say negative and the bottom let's say positive and the heat is being transferred along the current flow up through the North Pole which is heating up and of course getting rid of the sea ice that's what the graph shows and then the the returning current going down into the uh, uh, South Pole where the current is flowing in and up through the core of the planet and back out through the North Pole, that area is cooling down. Now, you know, until 2015, last part 2015, 2016, when suddenly, you know, it 
it appears to have heated up. So there's something going on internally that's got me puzzled, and, and I'm sure a lot of other folks, when I read the article, that's causing this this transfer of temperature uh, so violently. Um, I know we've had experiments where I've taken like uh, uh, copper and uh, and uh, tin uh, electrodes, you know, pieces of wire, and put them together over here on this side of the table, and then copper tin electrodes over the other side of the table, and I'd flow from a battery on one side through one pair of electrodes on the left side going and connected over to the right side electrodes and then back into the battery. And I could do that one way and freeze water only where the copper and tin were joined, reverse the current back through them backwards through the, and go copper tin, and it would boil the water. So the current, I think it's called the Thompson effect, as I remember from my school physics, it would transfer heat from one place to another. Is this what's happening with our... Uh, poles, you know, the polar regions. What's happening on the equator? Why doesn't this affect the equator? You know, there's just a lot of unanswered questions. Something on a planetary scale is happening, but I doubt that it's due to, uh, you know, human activity causing this. However, the article, or the, the argument can be made that most of the human population lives above the equator, and hence the northern uh, hemisphere up there should be warming. But, you know, um, I don't know. It's the graph of the extent of the ice up at the North Pole is more of a pretty much straight line uh, decline, and it doesn't show any jumps in population, which should you know should show more of a curve, like an exponential curve, uh, in these effects. But it's not. So I, you know, I'm, I'm at a loss to know what's going on there. Kind of going south. Speaking <laughs> of going south there. The uh, I, I can't remember if we spoke about this or not. The uh, November satellite images of the seventy-mile-long crack in the uh, Antarctic Peninsula is Larson. Seventy-mile-long crack. Yeah. In yeah. Larson. Do, do, we, do we speak about this? I don't know that we did. I know Holly's got it up on uh, our show images page at standale.com, uh showing a picture uh, that you know that NASA took of the. Uh, yeah thing from orbit to, I think it's 70 miles long and about 35 miles, well, let's see, the area effect is about 70 miles long by 35 miles wide. It's a one by two ratio. And uh, the darn thing, um, uh, this crack that appeared uh, is like 300 feet deep. And, you know, why? I mean, you can see up on the snow up above it, on one side, there's a lot of I don't know, turbulence, if you wish, in the, the smooth sea, uh, the surface of the, uh, uh, the uh, well, what do you call it, the, the iceberg or whatever. And uh, on the other side, it's totally smooth. I don't understand why that happened that way, but what you're seeing is a, a loss of, uh, uh, I think it's from the Larsen Sea ice shelf. Yes. You're seeing that separating yeah. off of the main body. We're, we're going to pick this up on the other side. Stan, okay, I we'll do that as a commercial, yeah. Yeah, all right. Stay right where you're at, folks. Stan Dale, standale.com. Oh, prophetic barrels. Holly Dale, got to get it. Stay right where you're at.
our final segment of the Hagman and Hagman Report on this Tuesday edition. We are joined with Stan Deo, as we are each and every Tuesday in hour number three. And we were talking about the uh, South Pole right before the break. You want to pick up right where you left off, Stan? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I misquoted uh, one of the sizes there of the the rift at the South Pole, the Larsen C uh, uh, ice shelf. Uh, it's 300 feet wide. 70 miles long and about 1,700 feet deep um, at the big crevasse, uh, about a third of a mile. Um, the the thing about this, um, the 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 size of this is about oh, I think it, uh, in one of the articles I read it was around 2,400 uh, square miles. You know, equivalent of like a 50 by 50 mile chunk, and. This, the Larson Sea ice shelf is actually holding back a number of the uh, overland type icebergs, uh, you know, uh, that are back up on the uh, the the pole. So when the Larson Sea ice shelf does finish breaking loose and goes into the ocean, it's going to b- remove uh, a, kind of like a blockage that was keeping the land ice from sliding off of the South Pole into the ocean. Now, why is this important? Well, just this chunk, the Larson Sea ice shelf, just that chunk alone, when it drops into the ocean, it will raise the uh, sea level uh, for the entire planet by uh, 82 uh, centimeters, which in uh, American speak is about 32 inches, almost a yard. Um, Now, that may not seem like a lot, but there are a number of areas, coastal areas, where people have homes and things. I'm certainly have a look at Florida when I say that, which, uh, you know, a, a, a one meter or one yard type uh, drop, or sorry, increase in sea level could cause a property value to drop because it would be going inland and flooding them. They're, they're only just a little bit above uh, sea level as it is now. So that's why it's important to me anyway to, to figure, okay, uh, when is this happening and, uh, you know, what's coming behind it? What are these other things that are going to slide off uh, of the South Pole into the sea now once this one breaks loose and raises the sea level? Anyway, it's you know, that's kind of my, my concern over that. Okay. Um, you, you know, I, I hate to leave the subject, Joe. I know you're, you're – you're, I do this to him all the no, time. I'm right. sorry. I, I just – I, I just really want to know what in the world is going do, uh, going on down there with with uh, with the people. Well, Carrie you know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I know Carrie, and of course, being you know uh, pro global warming type thing, this would be a major factor to say, look, global warming is an issue, and. Uh, you know, we need to do something about it on a, a planetary scale. And so it would be a real feather in their cap, you know, it would be the prime example to give to the world to, in support of their argument. But, you know, it's not really, uh, but they would see it that way. And I think that's why we would see that. And as far as uh, Buzz Aldrin going down, I don't know what his opinion on global warming is, but uh, regardless of that, to go down and see Larson C breaking loose, there would there's bound to be something of interest down there, whether it's supporting global warming theory or whether it's what the heck is going on with our planet, why are we getting warmer uh, from other causes. And so I can see why Alder would go down there. Um, All right. All right. You know, I, it's, I think it's uh, the answer is still in 
play. We got to wait till we see some other events happen. Um, yeah. And it is interesting, of course, as we said last week, the week before, that when Kerry was down there, he goes back on his ship up to uh, Wellington or somewhere up there, Auckland maybe, and you know, bang, the, you know, the biggest earthquake in a long time hits uh, the South Island up there near Cook's uh, Passage, uh, and that's while he's there. And yeah. so now, you know, what's the connection there? Neat, neat timing, hey. Yes, yeah, and and look, I know things happen. I mean, I I understand that that timing sometimes is just serendipitous. Things are serendipitous sometimes, but wow, that's certainly interesting. And and with all the uh, you know, with Aldrin going down there, and then yeah, I I don't know. I just, I just really, I'm a curious kind. I just want to know. So well, you know, so am I, and you know, our listeners are too. Most of them, I'm sure. That's why they tune in to listen and see what we've got to say, but uh, or what questions we raise. I think this is one of those issues that will be ongoing for a while. That we should uh, keep our ears open, and uh, even you know, people who have family connections in government and various research things should keep their ears open and see if there's any clues dropped as to what's going on down there. Um, it could be anything from the alleged alien uh, presence being announced officially, you know, uh, or to global warming being, you know, touted and proved more by this, or, but we don't know what. And that's what we've got to keep ears open, try to find the answer to. And, well, South Pole, uh, the, the um, Antarctica with respect to the Nazi uh, stuff, mm-hmm. you know, all of that, too. I, I just, I don't know. It's just fascinating to me. The, um, the potential for shenanigans or black ops, I suppose, is a better word. E- even if even even a legitimate black op type thing, if if there is such a thing. But yeah, right. yeah. <clears throat> uh, I think it's image number five of the earthquakes today. Mm-hmm. Um, rather interesting. Um, the what I've done is I've made a very large picture. It'll take a while for it to download your computers because it's important to see what's offshore. But it's a picture that I've made showing today's earthquakes because a couple of our listeners, you know, did write in and say today, hey, did you see this, you know, Richard 4 or 5 earthquake up in the Juan de Fuca area? And, of course, I had. But the interesting point about it was is it reminded me to tell people about the connection out into the Pacific Ocean uh, by the Mendocino Fault Line straight into northern um, California, right into the heart of, uh, of San Francisco and then down along the coastline. I've drawn an orange line showing where this rift that connects out to the ridge out in the in the ocean, the Mendocino Ridge, at the bottom of the Juan de Fuca Plate, right where it connects to the Mendocino Fault Line, the orange line shows the ridge that goes inland and all along the coast, uh, you know, into part of Oregon and northern uh, California all the way down into San, Fr- San Francisco and further uh, south. And it's part of the connectors into the the San Andreas Fault. So when we see activity up in the Juan de Fuca area, uh, and anywhere for that matter along the Mendocino Fault Line close to our coast, our west coast there, uh, you should pay attention. And what I, what I saw when I went on to uh, Google Earth and transferred the, the plot of the earthquakes over to there, uh, it's a much higher detail, higher resolution image of the sea floor. And if you look at that, then you will see some very interesting terraces uh, which 
show a local slippage in the, the foot of the of the Juan de Fuca plate. And that that uh, earthquake that they're talking about, there's an orange circle about, well, it's right above the Gorda Basin in the middle of the foot of the Juan de Fuca uh, plate. And you'll see how mm, violent some of the movements and changes have been in the sea floor there. And if you scoot over and look at the actual coastline and off coastline into the sea floor off of the west coast there of the United States, you will see some very, very interesting mm, natural formations, it would appear to me. Uh, and those formations are like river flows into the sediment of the seabed. And what you'll find is if you connect the ends of those flows, skip over the smooth part of the, the undersea coastline there, up onto the land of California, you will see that those those kind of river channels in, in the uh, the bottom of the of the ocean there connected to river flows from the mountains along the California and the Oregon coast, and they they show really deep grooves when massive water flows are flowing in to make that. Now, how long ago is another issue, but I found um, uh, a number of these things, including the Argello or Arguello, however you want to say it, Argello um, Terrace which is down off the coast of California, and you have to go onto Google Earth to, to see that yourself, but it just shows like four, looks like like they were holes, big holes, I mean massive holes that were drilled or made by something in the seafloor, and then water channel cut from there out into the Pacific Ocean. I didn't have time to get my argument on that uh, completed in time to put it up for the show, but to look for the Arguello uh, Terrace off the coast of California, and you'll see, if you look at the Google Earth uh, mud map, you know, the, the bathymetry of, of the coastline there, you'll see that those just don't look like continuations of normal river flows off of the California coast, mainly because, like, that whole area is flat around Los Angeles. It's not like large mountain ranges anywhere close to the coastline. They're back inland a bit. So what would have made those four almost equally spaced large holes in the the bottom of the Pacific Ocean off the coast of California, and then fluid flow out of, I guess, water, whether salt water or whatever, and that flowed down and into the, the ocean bottom there and cut those huge, long riverbeds or grooves or what into the seafloor. That's something that's ongoing investigation. If, if uh, any of our listeners have, uh, you know, scientific or erudite-type comments on that, I'd appreciate getting an email about that so that we can put it into that mystery. But anyway, that was... Earthquakes today and in an area that we we need to watch uh, because it's definitely linking to disaster if we're not careful. That could maybe nothing we can do to stop it. Um, there was, uh, if you look up at image, uh, was it image 11, I think? Yes, image 11. Government quietly admits weather modification. And what about geoengineering and chemtrails I put after that? But if you click on that, it'll take you over to a place called riseearth.com. And they give a, a discussion about why the government or how the government is kind of quietly giving uh, support to the argument that uh, you and I have been talking about on the show for a couple of years, in that the weather mods are, are in effect, uh, man-made. You know, the chemtrails and that kind of stuff are to control global weather, whether it's affecting the amount of heat that is absorbed by the planet uh, or reflected by the planet, you know, the chemtrails and the metallic particles or what. But when you get them to admit, kind of, you know, through the back door, yes, we 
start doing weather modification, that opens up the doorway to, okay, why don't you tell us about the rest of it, you know, uh, about, uh, you know, how your geoengineering and using these chemtrails to uh, either have weather warfare or, you know, whatever. Let, let's bring it all out. If you're going to admit that you do weather modification, let's talk about how you're doing it and why. Anyway, that's that's normally you can read in your own time, but that's that one there. Um, and that's important, um, you know, uh, very important because you see, you know, this one the one thing we've been talking about the last few days is this fake news business. And, you know, they've been railing on conspiracy theorists. And, um, and and it's just so, you know, this is not the first time that the government has been uh, shown to be involved in weather modification, uh, cloud seeding, and geoengineering programs. This is just the latest, yet, you know, this is the stuff that they lump in with conspiracy theories. And it's just, um, you know, this stuff will never see the light of day for 95% of the public. And it, it, it's... Um, just very disturbing when you know you see these kind of things come out why yeah exactly why would they do this um why do they feel they need to do this you know joe i i wrote about this first in 1978 from news articles in the, the mid-70s which were from the united states newspapers talking about weather warfare treaty bans you know between the united states and russia at that time and when you're banning weather warfare you're already talking openly in the press about weather modification on a grand scale and so that's how long this is this conspiracy theory has been going it's not conspiracy at all it's fact mm-hmm. and you know we're nearly 40 years ago they were talking about this in the open press before we got so controlled it, it, we're yeah. not we're not nuts this is really happening yeah and uh, you know now they're they're focused on uh, space the weaponization of space and and uh, space warfare, and just to show you how much they've moved, um, you know where their focus was uh, since that time. So it's just, uh, yeah, it's just uh, very troubling, you know, especially when you see the the chemtrails in the sky and they're, uh, I don't know, I see them more and more, especially on uh, cloudy days when the clouds break open. You can see the grids behind um, those clouds, and it's kind of we've gotten to a point where. You know, and there's so much else going on in the world. Uh, this has kind of fallen on the back burner of things that we cover, um, but it's still very relevant today. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, I I have another like article linked to it there, Image Nine, uh, and it's not like a news flash. It's simply something that uh, people ought to have a look at. It's a current developments at NASA. Uh, protecting us, you know, against near-Earth object impacts. And originally, we thought there were maybe like five thousand near-Earth objects they had uh, they had located. And when Holly and I visited the Space Command up here in the Springs a few years back, that's what they told us. You know, uh, that there were about five thousand NEOs or near-Earth or Earth or objects or near-Earth objects. Anyway, they well, could the, the, that's it then, Stan. Stan, 5,000. I am not leaving my house without wearing a bicycle helmet. That's it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah why? well, we laugh, but people have been hit, you know, uh, by small meteorites uh, coming through the roof and hit them. Uh, they're rare, but uh, still, uh, there are a number of us on the planet that uh, could experience something like that in our lifetime. A small thing. The big ones, we probably don't have to worry about because it'll be so big that it'll take a lot 
guys, originally there were 5,000 of these objects. Now, because they've got an extra budget and things, they have been able to increase their surge and uh, their equipment. And they found over 15,000 near-Earth objects that they can plot. So that is impressive. And you, just, you can read the article there uh, and uh, see what they've done and uh, where they think it's going to go and uh, what techniques they're using to try to, to uh, wipe these things out or move them to a different orbit so they don't hit us if there's one that's looking at a conflict to hit us. And we can, can refer to the 
you know what we saw in in uh, the, the the switching of what Angela Merkel's doing, and you have it here: um, Obama becoming increasingly powerless as world allies um, fall to populist uprisings. Um, Zbigniew Brzezinski is somebody who wrote about you know what populism uh, could do in the past, and I'm sure has a plan for how to um, you know steer it in the direction they want. Now that we're in these in these times, um, but you know, it, it'll be it will be interesting to see what Donald Trump does uh, when he gets in with Iran, with uh, a number of these other nations, as and you know with Syria and, and Iraq, uh, still very war torn in the middle of conflict, and then you have this this um, flow of, of this immigration. Uh, we see uh, there's the terror warnings that are going on in L.A. and um, the uh, African immigrants that you know are coming over by the hundreds or thousands over the weekend. That story broke. There's a number of things going on that you know seem to be making some connections if you really dig deep in the research. Um, but it just seems like something is coming that they're they're going to really um, try to move public opinion in a certain direction. From from what I can tell, it's just what it feels like. Mm. Yeah, and I'm I'm trying to figure out how the globalists let Trump. Uh, win this thing unless there was some reason to that they wanted this to happen. You know, uh, uh, how do you, how would you view an argument in that case? I mean, why would the globalists want uh, this nationalism to surface now? Any thoughts? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, it's obviously just, I believe um, <laughs> this is something that the, the powers that be in the satanic elite um, definitely saw coming and have an answer for. Um, you know why? I don't know. Uh, why, maybe not. Maybe not initially. You know, saying I'm not sure. And Joe, I, I don't. I don't know if they initially saw this coming. But when they realized that they couldn't turn it without some sort of a mass event, they would had to, uh, which they per- perhaps weren't prepared for. They switched to Plan B, C, or D, or whatever is on their list, and said, "Okay, what we've got to do now is um, create the, the the chaos using um, well you." With all of the the, if we have different nations and the the um, um, safety within the nations or, or the sanctity of, of national interests, if we can create some sort of a, a war and then have somebody come in and, and say, okay, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, so. I agree with what you're saying, uh, Doug. Because it, to me, it, it seemed like that's where they're headed. They're trying to make this uh, temporary nationalistic drive, and this will force the outbreak of war. Um, primarily in the Middle East and in the United States. And this will drive us one step closer very rapidly to the need for a global government to stop wars and to control nuclear weapons and, you know, the alien agenda and the global economy and global control of the weather and things that produce harm on the the biosphere. You can see that this would fit in with their plans. This would definitely do it. And what looks like a step backwards might not really be a step backwards. It might... uh, Exactly, yeah. and, and and looking at through it from that context or that from that vantage point, uh, the it makes more sense to allow, for example, it, t- tons of immigrants, illegal immigrants, into this country, undocumented illegal aliens. Uh, that is, and their failure to assimilate will further soften our underbelly here in America. So America can be taken down in chunks as opposed to one large landmass and one large population. So I yeah it, it 
I mean, it seems nefarious enough for that to happen. Yeah. Uh, on a happier note, I don't know how long we've got to do this, uh, but uh, Trump apparently, uh, if you saw the news today, has uh, gotten a tremendous underwriting from that uh, Japanese uh, you know, investment fund, that banker, who... Yeah. Um, you know, like guaranteeing 50,000 jobs in the U.S. and 50 billion in uh, infrastructure development. Well, not infrastructure, sorry, in um, startup uh, underwriting. Now, what that means to me is that they're planning to take on new ideas and uh, underwrite to R&D programs to these smaller startup companies to develop new technologies that we need here in the States. To that end, I mean, we're looking at new energy, uh, new uh, communication, new transportation, and two of those hit my uh, on button, and that was, uh, okay, uh, free energy, uh, time for me to break out the tests I've been doing, uh, you know, in the past on uh, capturing um, solar wind impingement on our atmosphere. Uh, That's what I filed my first patent application on. Um, And, you know, maybe Trump's administration will look at uh, real stuff. And we can actually start doing that. Uh, again, how long do we have you know, to, to play that game and to try to do something good? I don't know, but I am going to try. I've started breaking out the, the uh, notepads and the old uh, designs and stuff to uh, you know, bring them back into play to see if the administration here, the coming administration, will actually help us to develop uh, free energy. Well, um, that, that would be great. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, there was one part of it that was bugging me for years in in my uh, circuit design of that. And two nights ago, I I woke up at about two o'clock in the morning with a solution. Uh, I in in my sleep, I'd run across the solution or develop the solution. And you know, it's a simple thing, but it was um, it's the equivalent of jump starting a Model T Ford with a crank handle, and that was what I. The simplification of what I saw on my circuit design for the uh, the Moray type condenser uh, or you know converter for electricity, and oh. uh, that it needed to jump start a siphon effect in the atmosphere, and that's where the, the short form of saying it. Interesting. Wow, you're a smart guy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Either that or the good Lord gives you some pretty good dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'd love to be a fly on the wall for just a day or two in your house. I could, I could just, uh, just eat. Well, even no, some, you some wouldn't unless you like to get along without much sleep. Because I woke up and couldn't go back to sleep. I was, you know, kind of wanting to get up and, and not wake up Holly and go work on this. And I was tossing and turning a bit. And apparently, I woke her up and didn't know it. And she didn't get to sleep after I. She, said, what are you? What? 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 what and I told her, and she says, "Oh, all right." Now she couldn't go back to sleep. So. <laughs> There's a downside to living here. <laughs> well, that's why my wife makes me sleep in the guest room if I'm late or early, uh, either rising early or sleeping or, or coming in late. Yeah, so that, that way she isn't bothered. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, thanks, Dan. Anyway, closed out our program. You've done it again. We here we are another week in the can. Thank you so much for all well. of your insight tonight. All right. Well, it's been a good conversation tonight, guys. Appreciate it. And I'll be seeing you, Lord willing, next week. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much. God bless. By Stan Dale from standale.com. What a great guy. And I love Tuesdays with, with Stan. It's always just such a great uh, discussion, a really intellectual discussion with him.
Yeah, um, and uh, tomorrow in hour three, Pastor Langford is our guest yes. each and every Wednesday. Um, will be joining us, and then um, during the uh, earlier segments, we have um, Sean from SG, SGT Report. Yes, he'll be on with us for an hour tomorrow, also. So, uh, and looking out strong for the rest of the week. It's it's uh, really the detective week, investigator week, and uh, attacking the fake fake news lie. Doug and Joe Hagman, Hagman and Hagman Report. Thanks so much for tuning in. 